This week on Invasion of the Podcast. Oh, good. More Snyder Cut news. We take off to the Great White North and talk about Bob and Doug McKenzie's Strange Brew. And do I know about any other kinds of beers other than Coors Light? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we're trying to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and somewhere to the the great white east. That's not what I mean. Anyway, Steve's out there somewhere. Hello, everybody. West. I'm Brewmeister Steve. Today. Yeah, you're west of me, not east of me. Anyway, yeah, yeah, and you're Brew, Brewmeister Steve. Um, and we're going to put a secret ingredient in this podcast that will make you get into angry hockey-style fights as we play different musics. That's the goal. <laughs> Um, well, I can always use more of that in my life. Right. Um, yeah, we're gonna be talking about strange brew, the film from 83, the only SCTV skit, uh, that actually made its way into a film. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I, I hope you guys have watched the film. It continues on our two week trek through movies that have beer uh, involved as we talked about, uh, uh, basketball last week and we're talking about this this week um yeah so i just real quick uh, i do want to mention that i remember um when the movie miracle had, had come out about the 1980 uh, u.s olympic hockey team that took on the russians as um uh snake Pliskin as the coach uh it's available on disney plus it's a wonderful film um my friends at the time were like oh, that's a really good movie and then they started like googling different hockey things and they just found like videos of hockey fights and they got really excited. But then when they realized that like hockey's not just that they, they stopped caring about hockey. <laughs> I mean, that is sort of the, uh, the appeal of, of hockey, right? I mean that at any moment a fight could just break out. Yeah. I mean, that's more of like, a, a like it, it still can happen. However, a lot of that's been kind of deterred because like, there's this whole thing. There was a guy named Marty McSorley that, um, he, uh, took his stick and openly used it as like a weapon to hit somebody else. And he clipped the guy in the head. so then the question became, where's the line between sports and a crime? So, um, <laughs> there's been like, you know, fights still do occur. However, it's not to the degree that you would think when you think of hockey. Um, so, so yeah, it's no more of that, um, happy Gilmore trying to take off my own skate and stab a guy with it. Marty McSurley sounds like a made-up name if I've ever heard one. <laughs> I don't know. He's a real guy. But uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, we we're talking about uh, strange brew and uh, and beers and all of that stuff. Uh, before we get to that, of course, we got to have our mandatory. I should have a button like mandatory weekend conversation. Uh, uh, it was it was my wife's birthday last week. We had a party on Friday. Um, that was fun. And by party, I mean, there was like six of us and we stayed in like different corners of the house. And then we just used like a tin can and some string and talked to each other. It, but it, no, but there, we, we kept it really, really, really small, low, low key, a lot of fun. Um, it was kind of nice because with the, 
every time it seems you look outside, like it, there's just something worse that happens. So it was nice to have like a bubble of friendships and fun for a minute. Um, but I will say the other thing that only happened over the, the, the course of the weekend was that, uh, um, I logged into someone's shutter account and that, you know, someone that might be on this podcast with me. Um, <laughs> and I don't know what it was. It was like, I think it was Saturday night and I just, I was done. I just couldn't play more video games. I couldn't just, I, you know, I've hit my limit for video games. Surprisingly that happens every so often. And I logged into your, your shutter. Cause I was like, ah, I'll see what's available. I want to watch something like a scary movie or something. And, um, so I, I decided to sit down and watch a uh, color out of space, uh, the Nick cage film. I didn't realize it was up already. Um, I, it's on my list. Yeah. Uh, Richard Staley directed, it was the first film he directed in 27 years. Cause he, uh, had such a frustrating time on the set of the Island of Dr. Moreau that he walked away and he had directed most of that film, but they brought somebody else in to, to finish it. Uh, and so, yeah, that he's kind of like, uh, it's, he had other films like he had hardware and then I uh, was a dust devil. So he's a guy that people had always hoped would come back to like filmmaking. And he finally did with this and it's a Lovecraft story and it has Nick cage in it that, uh, Nick cage is good in it. Like you could tell he actually cares, but there's, I think Nick cage always has something in his, his, um, his writer that says, if you need me to act like a crazy person, I get to pick the accent in which that voice comes out. I think that's part of his writer. So my question to you would be, I know that you weren't as into Mandy as a lot of people were. Uh, did you prefer this to Mandy or no? I mean, Mandy, Mandy's a cool film and it's visually like it's a, it's a trip and the score is amazing. And Nick Cage in it is just unhinged. Uh, there's definitely a sequence in that film where he's in a bathroom and just his, uh, his uh, uh, plum smuggler underwear just um, getting psyched up to go do some murder because of reasons. And he starts just drinking vodka and just like psyching himself up and just goes nuts in this bathroom. It is just an amazing thing to see. Uh, I, I, I'm not like my mind isn't blown by that film, but I, I think people immediately want to compare this to Mandy because the color palette, like in the trailer and the poster shows like this magenta where Mandy is like all these different colors. Um, it, it's a it, the two different beasts. This uh, actually is a pretty straightforward narrative. With that being said, it is cosmic horror. So when things do get weird, you kind of have to be like, well, this is supposed to be a thing happening to these people. They don't understand it. We don't understand it because it's unknowable. So I'm able to kind of forgive a lot of it more than it'd be versus like a, a haunting film, like a haunted house. This is just, you know, we don't know the depths of whatever this is and we can't begin to understand what it's trying to do. I was able to kind of let my brain go and enjoy the ride. Um, it, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty cool movie. Uh, Jolie Richardson is in it. I, I, I think that's got her name, right? She was the, the female lead in, um, event horizon. She was the, the blonde lady that ends up like being like the survivor at the end. If you remember. Uh, Yes. Yeah, so I hadn't seen her in a film in forever, so it was nice to see her again. She has a pretty interesting role as the wife, um, and it just there's the movie does kind of let it does kind of linger for bit, bits sometimes, and I think that's okay because it, it's it, the movie when it gets crazy, it gets crazy, and it's it's a fun watch. But there's it you know there's there's some more things to consider while watching it. So at least there's a little bit of meat on the bones. It just just isn't like a this is gonna just mess with your head. Um, like Tommy Chong's in it and actually is pretty good. 
Like who'd have thought I'd say that about a horror film? Um, but he, he plays like, you know, like, a um, uh, a squatter hippie dude, but he kind of knows his shit, but it's still Tommy Chong talking, <laughs> you know? So cool movie. I mean, I don't know if I like, I don't know if I would have rushed out to the theater to see this, but it's definitely, it's one of those movies that I think having a service like shutter is definitely worth subbing into. If you like the, the odd corners of like, like also weird, weirdly specific genre films. I dug it. Okay. I, I'm sorry that I paused on your Julie Richardson thing. I was confusing her with, uh, Carrie Fisher's sister, which is Jolie Fisher. Um, and I don't know why, because I was like, I couldn't remember which side of if it was, uh, you know, Fisher or uh, Reynolds or I don't know. I, 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 for whatever reason, I was confusing them in my head. So I know who you're talking about now. But well, I think I, I got her I, name I, right. Didn't I get I think it is Julie Richard. You did. Okay. You did. I, okay. in my brain, though, my I immediately pictured Julie Fisher. And that's that's why I paused. So, um uh, it's, I'm good to hear. I'm glad to hear that about color out of space. Um, there, there's some gross body horror moments that happen later that I was not expecting that are pretty solid. Like it was like, and they went some places where I'm like, they're not actually going to, Oh, they did that. And it's like, that will leave you kind of on your toes a little bit about like, you know, um, where this is going to go. And Nick Cage is great. Just that he, he, he lapses into this imitation of supposedly his father. And it's like, it, like I will, I will say that this is Nick Cage's. Like this is as close as Nick Cage will ever get to something like The Shining. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Um, the the reason that I, yes, I, you're right. Um, it certainly is unfair to compare it to Mandy because uh, I know that a lot of people are. The, the reason that I asked was is that that's sort of I think at least within the circles we run in, the movie that I think Nick Cage had most recently been praised for. And then I saw a lot of praise for him in this. So I was just curious how the two stacked up, but um, well, even, of- yeah, I'm sorry. Even like the reviews on shutter people. And like when I even put my letterbox up for it, people were just like, Mandy was better. It's like, well, yeah, um, the rock was better. Like, what do you like? Where do you draw the line with Nick cage? You know, like, you know, I don't know. It's just Peggy Sue got married. Yeah. Right. Like, um, <laughs> Eight millimeter was better, you know, like, uh, just whatever honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> like, where do you, yeah. where do you pick your cage at? I mean, I, being perfectly honest, I think that was the, you know, with the exception of, I guess, into the spider verse with him as uh, Spider-Man noir, Mandy is the last film that I saw him in. So, uh, I, I kind of understand the comparison, at least in the terms of like, it's the last role that I can think of him in. So I do get that. But, uh, I wanted to mention on Richard Stanley, um, if you haven't seen the documentary Lost Soul, uh, the, the doomed journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau, it's a great documentary and boy, does it get weird. Um, <laughs> here yeah. I am talking to you like you didn't know who this was and here I'm talking to you like you never saw Mandy. I'm sorry. That's a party foul on my part. What? Well, no, no, not at all. I just, I, my brain just went to the thing that was closest to it so that's that's all no i didn't think you'd see mandy and then i didn't know how familiar you are with richard stanley it sounds like you're actually more familiar with him than i am well i mean to be perfectly honest i don't think i've seen hardware i know it's a critically well maybe not critically acclaimed but i know that it was um people ahead of its time yeah people genre people dig it and it has porkins in it too i know that 
Yeah, so I mean that's that's one that I have had on my list forever that I, I need to seek out and get around to watching. But the documentary I would I would highly recommend. I mean it it's crazy what happened on that set. So much so that after he got fired, he snuck back onto the set and like posed as an extra. It's just it's weird. <laughs> uh, it's really weird. And he's a very interesting guy. Um, eccentric maybe is the best word, use of the, the word that I can think of to describe him. But, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, I, I'm trying to like, uh, vocalize like how weird the documentary is. Cause I don't think I can, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely worth a watch. Um, and I didn't realize it was from 2014. I thought it was just from a few years ago. Cause I thought that had actually kickstarted like people talking about him again. Hmm. So, um, well, I, I don't will... know. I'm, I'm curious to check out color out of space and, yeah. Um, I'll toss a spoiler. There's a bit at that one point where there's a film playing on a TV that has Marlon Brando. And it's like, I don't know if he's like paying homage or just being like, yep, that's the guy that kept me out of this for 27 years. I don't know, but there's Marlon Brando on the TV. Well, that's interesting because, uh, I would think that particularly in a lower budget movie, like color out of space paying for a, you know, rights to have a Brando film on the TV would probably be a little pricey. So that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Like the film, I mean, the film looks good. Like you can, like the budget, like all the money's on the screen. Like you know, they're it just again, you have to see it. It's it's solid and it's like it's like an hour and forty five minutes. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It you know, it starts off relatively grounded and just gets weird, and that's kind of what you want from this. And I dug it. Yeah, I, I've got it on the list, uh, amongst other things. Uh, maybe I should do a double feature of hardware in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's 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 where I was at Saturday, and that's pretty much other than playing some Mortal Warcraft, which that ties into a story later um, a little bit. I don't know. It just I've been. Uh, it just again, it feels there's this weird like part of my brain that wants to push out like reality and just it go into another one. So it's, it's, I'm probably overdoing it, but it's been there, and I keep playing it. Yeah, I, I think that uh, a lot of us are trying to uh, find a reality other than this one. So I don't think you're alone on that. <laughs> and this one, where I'm, where I'm currently playing the game right now, there's like like um, uh, Lovecraftian type like monsters and these horrors of the mind invading. So it's like, is that is that the reality I want to go to right now? I'm like, yeah. And and I've been actually spending way too long just to unlock the ability to have my character have a backpack visually on their back. It is dumb how much time I've put in just to let people see that I can have a backpack. Hmm. Do you walk around a lot? Is it is it like Death Stranding? <laughs> yeah, I have I have at least fifty seven <laughs> boxes on top of my guy. No, uh, no. There's this thing. It's it's called transmogrification. That if you um, if you pick up a piece of gear that's appropriate for your character, um, you as long as you have had it in your inventory, you have the ability to make. Uh, a similar piece of gear look like that at any time. Like, um, so th- they unlock the ability to visually show a backpack. There's never been a backpack in the game before. Uh, like that kind of visual, it's all been like cloaks cause you know, fantasies. Uh, so this is the first time you can get a backpack. So yeah, I want to show people I have a backpack. Like right now, my guy, cause, um, I, I found a, like a captain hook hook hand. So I was able to transmogrify both of my hands into hook hands and I have a pirate hat cause why not? So I, I'm a, I look like a pirate with hook hands and a backpack. I imagine that makes it tough to eat. I don't know. I mean, all I do is just I just I just hit people with my hook hands, and somehow I stay alive. 
<laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned the backpack thing, and you're like, it's the first time he's ever been in a backpack. My brain, I immediately went to The Simpsons, where uh, Malibu Stacy's released with a new hat. Yes, that's that's exactly <laughs> it's exactly it. It's ex- you're like, oh shit, I gotta get that backpack. I, I gotta get that hat, you know. So, <laughs> all right, well, I. I apologize that I don't have quite the uh, the knowledge of uh, of the game. So I you don't need I, to you don't need to have the knowledge to to feel like shame knowing that you know somebody that spent way too many hours just to get a fake backpack on a fake character in a game. So that's okay. You could judge me regardless of how much you know about the game. Oh no, judgment here. Um, I've wasted most of my life. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> do you have a sweet hat to show for it? Unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> oh, so anyway, that was my uh, fun, sad weekend. What did you do? Um, for the most part, I didn't do. I mean, obviously, nobody's doing anything right now, anyway. But, um, I mean, it, it's just the weekend on replay at this point. Um, I uh, I watched a uh, uh, a film that I had not seen before called Intruder. I believe you've seen it before. No, I haven't. Is that the Sam Raimi film? So Sam Raimi's uh, producer on it. I don't remember who directed it, but uh, it's between Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. And he's actually, he acts in it. Hmm. Like that's, that's what's interesting. But he acts in it, uh, his brother Ted, because they just are always together. Um, Danny Hicks, I think it's Danny Hicks. He's from Evil Dead 2. He's a big character in it. And then, uh, uh, of course, Bruce Campbell has to make a cameo. But uh, interesting movie. I was unaware of the plot of it. It all takes place in a grocery store. Um, Not unquite like The Mist. Um, But instead of giant bugs outside, it's a killer in the store. Um, So interesting movie. I don't know that... I don't know that it's a one that I'll gravitate towards again, but um, it was okay. Uh, there's some cool effects in it. Uh, it's KNB doing the effects. It's uh, actually, I think Howard Berger, who's with KNB, may have actually directed it, but I have to double check. Um, so yeah, long story short, I watched a uh, movie from 30 years ago that I'd never seen. Well, okay, that's fair enough. All right, so. <laughs> Um, Meanwhile, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm like, I don't know. Was who was this person in it? So, okay. Uh, nothing else. No, uh, no exotic, uh, fair foods that you made uh, on your own or deli creations or nothing like that. No, I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> this is so sad. Uh, time for, uh, an admission. I am, uh, I'm doing Weight Watchers right now and, uh, Weight Watchers has a point system. And what it's taught me is, is that I can eat just enough food just to make sure that I have enough points left so that I can drink beer at the end of the day. <laughs> right? I mean, the, well, I mean, the it's, the goal is to score as many points as you can, right? That's what I've learned. <laughs> that is not the goal. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're given a set amount of points every day for the amount of food that you can eat. <laughs> and uh, I've basically worked it out. So I'm like, well, if I eat this and I eat that, it's that like, works out to this. It's like and, vegetables and are no points. But if I eat like just six buckets of vegetables, then I can drink beer. Okay, I'll do that. I you mean, know. I will say that I've eaten because there are no points. I've eaten more vegetables and fruits in the last like two weeks than I probably have in the last year. That's good. <laughs> so I guess that's that's something to to be said for. But uh, yeah, so there's no uh, 
like crazy uh, food stories. Although um, I'm my birthday's in two weeks, and I've already decided like that weekend will be just you know <laughs> it's gonna be we'll be taking off for it's uh, gonna be Godzilla just destroying like the countryside. That's what's gonna be yeah. just uh, you're just gonna see me on my couch covered in cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know like you know that's i'm, I'm a it's gonna be it's, it's gonna be a lot like uh jordy Verrill, um you know except not plants it's just gonna be covered in cake yeah. and it's like it wants jordy it wants the frosting like, like <laughs> oh that's i guess wonderful. it is good that i i don't go into stores the way i used to because that was that's a big thing like October is, you know, it's oh, it's Halloween, so there's always Halloween candy on sale every time you go into a store. So, yeah. oh, you know, two fifty for a big bag of Reese's cups, I can't pass that up. So, yeah, I um, I, I um, went to the grocery store on Monday morning because uh, I was like, well, you know, we need some stuff, and I was like, I'm a little hungry. I'm like, I'm, I'll be better. I'll be good. So I go to the meat counter, and um, there is this. Uh, they have this thick sliced uh, chipotle uh, maple bacon, and I was like, "I'll take two pounds." I didn't realize that that was the entire tray of bacon, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And so, um, yeah, and uh, I baked it, and I baked it in the oven, and it was amazing. And I shouldn't have bought it, but it was amazing. Give me all the bacon. Yeah, it was just like I'm like, oh shit, I cleared this out. I didn't realize that. Because, I mean, I don't know, like a pound doesn't sound like a lot to me, but then it's like, it really is. It's like, that's a, a pound of bacon's a lot of bacon. I don't know why my brain's like, I need two pounds of that. And they're like, well, we don't have two pounds. I'm like, well, okay. And they're like, 1.75 or whatever. I'm like, good enough. And it's like, that's all gone now. And I'm like, oh. And I was like, can I get four of these burgers over here too? They look really good. So that was me, you know, being like freaking uh, Michael Rooker and um, Slither, just going up to the meat counter and being like, meat, and they just gave it all to me, you know? So um, that happened. But I didn't I didn't buy any sweets. That's like, you know, you talk about that. Like, that's always, like, I, I'm pretty good at not buying that stuff. Like, I have to avoid the chip aisle because the siren song of, like, I don't know what it is, Doritos, spicy chili Doritos. Like, that's the one that always gets me, and I always have to stay away from it. Um, yeah. Yeah, those are quite delicious. I hadn't actually tried those until a year. Yeah, well, I guess it'd be two years ago now. Well, maybe it was this year. Uh, I, no, because we had them at the Halloween party. People don't care about this. Why? Why? Do I, I, <laughs> this is why I'm a terrible no, I need, I need a specific, um, entomology of your, uh, chip likes and dislikes. I need a thorough tree here. And well, like a, it, it, it's just that I, I, first tried them i think in a super bro that rob had brought them uh, a friend of the show rob had brought them or friend of both of us brought them to your super bro party i think two years ago and i that was the first time i'd ever had them and i was like these are amazing they are like everyone's like red bag blue bag i'm like you're both dumb it's purple bag all the way you know <laughs> and then we get into a, we get into a fist fight out in the street about it but yeah anyway so yeah, that's foods we like, people. Um, as uh, we talk about our various diets, Steve's trying to do better, and I, um, you know, I, I mean, I think I, I do try to do better day to day, but it's like at nighttime, it's like the beer and the calories, and it's like that's what sinks me. But just so everybody knows, since we're talking about strange brew, I would be it would be remiss if I didn't have an Oktoberfest style beer. So, you know, my weight gain is your gain. That's what I gotta say about that. So, you know, 
that everybody you should just be proud that I'm, I'm leaning into the whole thematic part of this. So, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, it, it that's, but we got nothing else. Let's just get to some news. everyone um and, and, and i'm waiting for steve to be like no i had like six more things to talk about but like no it's news time now like we're done talking about snacks and other things but all right uh speaking of something i think we've had our fill of uh steve found a story today that's from dark horizons uh that said that they're actually going to be shooting more justice league next month uh if this is for the the zach snyder who gives a shit cut that's coming up um that's not true. I'll watch it now that now that it's getting this like like this much uh, completion. You know, it's like you. I'm I'm gonna watch it. I already have HBO Max or Prime or HBO Deluxe or whatever HBO McDouble, whatever it's called. I'll watch it. But I know the whole thing here was that Snyder said to to like you know whoever owns HBO, it's AT and T. He's like, hey, I need more money for like reshoots. They're like, you're well, no no. You, we're doing this. We're giving you like 20 million to finish it. No reshoots. Now there's reshoots. So you know what that tells me? It tells me that this film wasn't as complete as Snyder was trying to let on. I think there's a bit of a shell game going on here. I also think that, uh, uh, when he was trying to promote his, Oh, you know, the Snyder cut exists and I've got four and a half hours worth of film. And I'm like, if he's got four and a half hours worth of film, why does he need to do additional photography? Like, I understand that, like, with movies, there's always additional photography that's required, um, whether it be like, oh, there was an issue with the way that was filmed that day, or we realized it doesn't work within the story, we had to rewrite something. But it, this movie was not as finished as he keeps kept saying it was, yep. <laughs> is, I think, the point. Yeah, that's the point, right? So, but, yeah, they're going to do some reshoots. They're going to bring people back. Uh to do this, um, again, you know, you know, more superhero content is fun. It's great. That ties into our next story in a second. Um, it's just, I feel like that, um, the Warner brothers, um, as a whole, they tried having a unified vision, but even then, no, like not everybody was on board. And now this is happening again. And it's just like, fine. You know, like if this is what gets us across the finish line, finally, and people can shut the hell up about it. Cool. Um, I don't think there's going to be an amount of time, money, or effort that will go into this that can possibly live up to what um, the haters of everything else right now. It, it's it, you know this can't possibly be like the most amazing thing ever because unfortunately, as much as there's a lot of stuff about Zack Snyder's movies I like a great deal, he does not have the most proven track record for like, cause you could argue that Batman V Superman, Donna justice, which I know you've not seen. Um, and also like, uh, was it a man of steel, which you have seen, you know what he's going to do with this. Like what makes you think that this is going to be any better? I don't know. I understand that there are fans of his, his vision for DC for the DCU. I'm not one of them. Um, I, I think that Snyder is actually a really talented director. Yes. I, just don't think I don't think story is a strong point for him. Um, and I don't think that he, I don't think he understands these characters. I hate to say <laughs> yeah. it that way, but I don't think he does. Um, yeah. I will say too, that I think it's interesting that, uh, that, you know, oh, the filming is expected to bring back Ben Affleck's Batman. And I, I, 
I have to wonder if they're like, we're going to, you know, back up the money truck and, you know, to get you in this Flash movie. But you're also going to have to appear on reshoots for Justice League. How amazing would it be if he and Cavill both show up with mustaches that are contractually uh, obligated for films <laughs> they're working on? And like even, you know, even Gal Gadot shows up. She's like, I'm sorry, guys. I had to shave my head, at, you know, for something. And also, like, uh, I, you know, I just, whatever. Like, it'd just be great if all of them, like, yeah, I'm back on board. And like, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, um, I just, I think it'd be funny. It'd just be really funny. It's like, I, we got we got to CG all these people. And it's like, oh, it's going to cost X number of dollars. I also thought it was interesting that they, they point out the fact that Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg, um, you know, has an ongoing dispute with Warner Brothers uh, over Joss Whedon and Jeff Johns' uh, treatment of the cast and crew on the the, um, the reshoots or whatever you want to call it, Whedon's version, um, that he's returning. But what I think is more interesting is, is that they list uh, Cavill, uh, Affleck, uh, Gal Gadot, and, and him for these reshoots, but not... Um, and I, I'm blanking out his name. The kid who played Flash. Oh, um, shit. Um, Ezra. Um, Ezra Miller. Yeah. That's what I say Ezra I, Pound. I'm like, no, that's a poet. Like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> that just seems odd to me that they're not bringing him in. And maybe they are. And he's just not listed in the, the, the article. But I, I do know that there's been some hubbub around him uh, of a, as of uh, recently. So I'd be curious to see if uh, he... Has, if he's going to be filming anything else. Uh, and I got to say, and again, this is unfair, um, based on the trailer that they showed at Fandom like a month ago, um, they were like, oh, here's the new version of Steppenwolf. I'm like, yeah, it still looks like a big CGI turd. Like, it just, I don't know. I I, I didn't find the, the <laughs> images of either Darkseid or um, Steppenwolf that we got nearly as compelling as the uh say the mcu equivalent of seeing um thanos like yeah. it just visually it just it feels still and i i know i i gotta apologize for this because i'm an old man but it feels like a video game it just feels like there's no weight to it it looks like you know oh here comes your cgi bad guy so <laughs> <laughs> final boss yeah i right. just um yeah i mean maybe it just again they, they're still working on it maybe they'll like you know once it's all polished out maybe they'll feel better i don't know but uh but yeah there's more shooting coming so of course the story like it just feels like this is like the biggest con you know it, i mean i know there's been bigger ones but it's just like oh th like this mine was better and it's like oh now i get to do it Oh, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. Can can you know we have more money? No. Well, you're going to have to give me more money because HBO Max doesn't have anything else now because all their shows are leaving for you know Peacock or whatever. You know, like we we've, we've hung our hat on this. And also, did you see? This is a side story to this. Did you see that? Um, was it the Warner Brothers Digital, or whatever it was, that the 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 DC Universe thing that they had going that app that had the shows and the streaming and the comics? They're pivoting it away. Uh, from all the um, the like the video stuff, just the comic service. So I think you and I talked about that, and I think you were right about that. Um, I, I think they're just there's some major reshuffling going on here, and um, 
it, maybe it's going to be good, but it feels like there's a lot of different things going different directions right now, which has been kind of what Warner Brothers and DC has been doing from the start. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens when this comes out. Like, I feel like with with uh, particularly the DC films, there does seem to be a certain fan base that is just no matter what, it's going to be the greatest thing ever to them. It it doesn't matter how bad it is. It could be literally two guys in front of a green screen talking about Superman for four hours, and they would be telling you it's the greatest movie you've ever seen, and you just don't get it. Um, I, I think again, it, it you know, it, if this is, I don't want to take anybody's joy away from it, but I just, I don't think that, I don't know. I, I'm waiting to be impressed. Well, I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. So, all right. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's completely fair. And I think the bar, some guy in Ohio says he's waiting to be impressed. <laughs> Zach Snyder, what do you think? That was like that onion headline where it's like, uh, you know, uh, was it some guy and like, um, what was it? Some guy in Ohio is upset about the NFL uh, players protesting. Uh, will no longer watch NFL causing NFL to collapse or whatever the headline was. Something <laughs> to that effect. You know, it's like, yep, we'll see. But um, yeah. All right. Uh, next story here is also, it's in the same vein, but this is one that I think this is a fun thing and kind of a, uh, you know, so far so good. We'll say that HBO max again, strapped for content. I will say that. That's my my statement. Um, original content. Uh, has landed a straight out a straight to series order for Peacemaker, which is a spin-off of the upcoming Suicide Squad film that James Gunn's making. And Peacemaker is played by John Cena. It's going to be an eight-episode series uh, that's dealing with the origins of the character. So I don't know if that teases that he's going to be out the door in the movie. Um, whatever. But, you know, I understand that I'm not always a big fan of prequels, but this is a character being introduced into, you know, a film like he's a lesser known DC character. So if you give me the origin story of this guy, that's basically like Captain America, but nuts. Um, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. It'll be an interesting take. Um, I, I keep thinking of the boys, uh, with, um, um, Oh God! Why can't I think of his name now? Um, the Superman, uh, Homelander, Homelander. Yeah, uh, I think uh, why what, Homelander is sort of uh, the dickish version of Superman, or the, the version at least Zack Snyder would like to do. Um, and I think, <laughs> yeah, you, you can just see snack, water, snack, snack, snack Snyder, uh, Zack Snyder, you know, snack Snyder, uh, Zack Snyder watching the boys and be like, you know, they got Superman right. Like why, right. why, you know, man, they got him so right. They got Aquaman right too. You know, like why wouldn't they let me but, do that? You know, <laughs> but I feel like, uh, the reverse of that is the suicide squad is going to be sort of like, what if Captain America was just a complete asshole? Yeah. Um, I think that's where they're going with, with, uh, this take on, on, uh, uh, peacemaker. And I'll be perfectly honest. I, I don't know that I've ever read a common comic with this character i i would need to do some research to find out what issues he pops up in and what his backstory is in the comics and I, that's for somebody who's read a lot of dc comics this isn't like you know oh it's a second stringer you know or something like that like mm -hmm. 
I know nothing about this character, so it'll be uh, obviously it's James Gunn, so I'm willing to give it a chance. Uh, it it definitely shows that they have some faith in what his version of Suicide Squad is going to be for them to do an eight uh, eight issue eight uh, episode um, miniseries. So I, I'm on board. Um, yeah, I just I the only thing that I, the first thing I, that popped in my mind was is like oh, this is gonna please don't let this delay guardians three any further. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, however, I mean, it, it is, it is supposed to be, uh, be in production before he starts up guardians three, but with everything being pushed back with timetables because of the, you know, the plague that's still out there, which I know you sent me a story as well, that, uh, black widow's coming out next may, which I, you know, um, you know, as much as I want to see that movie now, um, and as much, I know we're having a show talking about strange brew and we're going to have some fun. We have, we have some laughs, I don't know if we deserve nice things right now. Like, so if it means we have to wait till May, that's fine. If that pushes back like Marvel's like, like release schedule and like production stuff, if that means then I know guardians three is like in the horizon. That's okay too. Like I'm, I'm like, just let's get people safe. Let's get, let's let me, let me be able to feel like I can hug somebody without being like, did I kill them? Did they kill me? I don't know. I guess we'll find out in 14 days. You know, let's, I'm fine with this waiting, you know, and, uh, whatever, like bring peacemaker. I'll watch that in the meantime. It'll be fun. Well, the, the thing that I was just going to mention about when I sent you that black widow story was, is I thought that not so much talking about the delay because that's happening everywhere. Um, I thought what was, was fascinating about it was that this will be the first year, I think since 2010 that we'll have been without a proper MCU film. Oh, um, I mean, I, yes, we, we, New Mutants was released, but that yeah. was made like three years ago, and they don't even want to acknowledge that that movie exists at this point. Um, right. It was poorly reviewed. It didn't do very well at the theater. Um, I, I'm still going to give it a chance. I'm going to watch it at some point. Um, but the the point that I'm making is is that like it it's, it may not actually be a bad thing to have a little time away. Yeah, it gives you some time to want to come back to this this world absolutely and not have it be three year, three films a year. And you know, you're right. And it, it like, and I, as much as I've not been using my quarantine to do anything, you know, productive, like I had, like I had all these plans of like, uh, you know, to watching all this stuff and doing all these things. And it's like, and like, you know, I, I still have not gotten caught up in Westworld. I still not watched these movies as I'm going to get to like, you know, I've, I found ways to still sabotage the things I was going to get into. However, it is nice not having like that, like there's like a ticking clock of like, well, I got to watch this. I got to get this bef- before the internet ruins it. I got to get to this. And it's like, it's been good to not have to worry about like that, that chase of, we talked about before everything hit the fan about like my, my frustration and discomfort of going to the theaters because people are terrible. Um, you know, this has been a weird byproduct that like, I haven't had to deal with that in months. So it's making me nostalgic for the theaters. I just have this feeling the moment I sit right back down, there's going to be that one person, you know, like this, it's going to ruin it for me again. I'll wait a year for that to happen, I guess. But yeah, let's get some time away, please. And also yeah. we're getting the, again, side story. Uh, you know, that's what I should, I should like throw up like a, a ref whistle. They just put that teaser out for WandaVision. We're getting that like the end of the year, but we'll, we'll have enough to dig into. Yeah, we've got Mandalorian and then followed by yeah. WandaVision. So we're going to be good for a while. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, uh, the, the only thing I, other thing I was going to say on that too is, is that, uh, you know, it also, unfortunately, 
Not unfortunately, but it gives them a little bit more time to figure out what direction they're going to take Black Panther 2 in. That's fair. Yeah, you're right. So, um, so I, I guess uh, um, I don't know how much you've seen John Cena. I know that um, like people would like say that he's just following the rock, which I'm like, well, the rock did it right. The, like a good transition between, you know, wrestling to being like a movie star, um, you know, and, and the rock hasn't picked always the best projects. I feel like Cena's doing a pretty good job. Like he's also picked some, some stinkers, but like, I think he's actually giving himself enough of a foundation to be able to do this without having the attachment of just being a wrestler. I like his charisma. Um, and I've not heard anything like, overly terrible about him as a person. I just know that he was originally coming up as a wrestler. He was really kind of self-centered and kind of selfish. I think he's changed a lot of that, but there isn't the story of like, you know, a young John Cena crippled a kid just because he could like, there's none of that shit out there. I like him and I'm hoping to find out that he's not like a monster. You know, that's the big fear is like, I just, I'm tired of like finding out that people did shit and they won't own up to it. Well, it's weird that people would attack John Cena for following in The Rock's footsteps. Oh, my God. Why would he want to you know, follow in the footsteps of somebody who's like one of the most successful people in the film world right now? Yeah. I'm not saying that like The Rock doesn't earn it. And The Rock, actually, he spent a lot of time doing a lot of movies that weren't hits or were smaller roles. Um, he, he's been acting for like 20 years now. So yeah. it just didn't happen overnight for The Rock. Maybe John Cena gets a little bit of a break in that uh, people have accepted The Rock, so they're more willing to accept John Cena. But, you know, I thought he was really funny in Trainwreck. I think that's the only thing I've seen him in. He's really good in that, yeah. And uh, when it comes to, you know, his wrestling, I mean, it's it's the whole reason I wear cargo shorts. I'm kidding. <laughs> but Or jean shorts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that it's crazy to... to to hold him up against the rock and, and be like, Oh, he's just trying to be like the rock. Well, yeah, the rock's crazy successful. Why wouldn't you want to be that? So yeah, I don't know. I agree. I'm just, I was just making a statement of like how much, I don't know how you feel about him. I'm sure you end up like walking away from suicide squad being like, he was great at it. If he, if, if this is enough to focus on getting him an eight, you know, an eight episode miniseries, you know, it must've gone really well shooting the film. And they, him and Gunn must have got along. Like, also, I mean, you want to talk about following footsteps, Batista. Um, you know, Gunn has had track records of taking guys and finding what works for them, and, and like making them like they're not just superstars because they were as wrestlers. But Batista wanted to get into acting, and he was acting. But you know, Drax got him to that next level. Sure, and I, the other thing to, to keep in mind with that too is is that uh, you know. John Cena uh, actually you know what I I don't know where I was going to go with that point but I was I was just going to say that you know um as far as uh, well I mean he's he's been an effective storyteller in the ring for years like that that has to translate well yeah I'm sorry I I completely lost it and now I have it back sorry okay good uh I'm glad one of us has it yeah uh because I'm only two beers in, so it's not drunk brain. Um, no, no. Uh, I'm three, so catch up. <laughs> John Oliver has been, uh, he's been on John Oliver, uh, pushes John Cena up in my, my book. So, And I like that they're actually the exact same age. 
And like yeah. and John Oliver mentions, he's like, we're, we're literally born on the same day. And it's like, look at his physical specimen. He's like, and look at me. He's like, that does not make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so Peacemaker's coming. I, I, I look forward to that. That'd be great. So last story here. <clears throat> um, so uh, this one, Steve pointed out to me uh, and he was just like, Hey, you, you like game things. Here's a game thing. And I'm like, okay. So, uh, one of the original Blizzard uh, Entertainment uh, co-founders, Mike Morheim, which I just mentioned, I played World of Warcraft a lot. So Mike Morheim has a, he's had a lot of my money, and by a lot of my money, he's like you know compared to the rest of the world, it's not much, but he's got some of my money. He had left Blizzard in 2018, I believe, stepped away because uh, Blizzard is not just Blizzard; it's um, um, Activision Blizzard, Activision. Uh, Steve, you might remember Activision from like the days of Pitfall, and like you know they were. They were the company making games for the Atari that wasn't Atari. Activision has done well since then. Their big bread and butter is a Call of Duty. Like, that's the big thing they do. Um, they do other things, too. But they partnered up with Blizzard, like, I don't know, probably 10 plus years ago. And they're their own thing. It's Activision Blizzard. They're a big game company. Big, 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 big. So there's been rumblings uh, for years that a lot of the old guard at Blizzard has been stepping away. Cause one, they've been with the company 20, 30 years. They were a small company originally called, uh, was it uh, Silicon and synapse, something like that. And then, um, do you remember, do you remember a game called rock and roll racing for the super Nintendo? No. Okay. never mind. They did that. They also did the lost Vikings, a game called Blackthorn. They did a lot of that, but anyway, they eventually became blizzard and they did, you know, the Warcraft games, Starcraft, all that. Then they, then they joined up with Activision. And a lot of the older people have stepped away from Blizzard. And, and you're starting to see other companies start to form with former Blizzard employees. Because there's this whole thing of, like, there's the suspicions that there there's a lot of, like, crunch time pushed down, like, in terms of getting stuff put out. A lot of, like, just go for the money. Things that Blizzard hadn't really been known for. Blizzard was always that company that was like, we'll release it when the game's right, meaning that they polish the hell out of their product. They don't just sell you crap and then patch it later. Um, their reputation has been getting dinged the last couple years um, for some some other things they've put out. However, Mike Morheim was one of the big pillars of the company. He stepped away. It's been announced that he's actually founded another company called Dreamhaven, and it's actually self-funded, meaning that... Uh, this company is actually, they're not looking for outside investors. Morheim has enough money from his time at Blizzard and some other people that they're bringing in uh, that were former Blizzard employees. And and Dreamhaven, it, they're the company, but they're not the studio developing. He actually has two separate uh, studios. One's called Moonshot Games. The other one's going to be called Secret Door uh, games and they're so for a company to say, hey, we're just like, here we are. This is what we're doing. And we have two developers right now working independently on ideas that doesn't happen. Like usually when a startup game company, it's like they kind of put all their chips on the table for one product. Uh, but Morheim's this, you know, he, he and his wife, uh, this is not their first rodeo and they're bringing in a lot of former blizzard employees that they want to have control and ownership again and, and make projects that they believe in. So Steve, I couch this to you. We watched the, the documentary about the image revolution. This feels a lot like that. If that makes That's sense to you. Uh, no, that, that does make sense to me. Um, I would hope that those guys at Blizzard watch that documentary because there were a lot of ups and downs. Uh, and maybe I'm just because I remember that time uh, of Images founding. 
remember all the ups and downs in the industry and how the industry almost collapsed at one point and, you know, was able to come back. And um, I, I would say that uh, obviously video games are probably in a much better position at this point. But, um, you know, I'm sure that they're aware of the pitfalls of, and no pun intended um, when you mentioned football <laughs> earlier, but, um, you know, it's great to have your own creative freedom and go out on your own and, and, and take that chance. So I applaud them for that. But I, I, I hope that, uh, you know, they take some of those principles that you were saying about Blizzard and apply them to their company and not just put out um, games that they're going to have to fix later or shoddy products um, or, you know, comics covered in chromium. Or, you know what I mean? Like, that's the equation that I'm making is this, that this like, game has a die cut cover. It's like, that doesn't even make sense. Buy the cover. Just buy it. It's got 13 different covers. Yeah. This was but a gatefold that you could wrap around your house. Like, what? I don't even know if that even makes sense. But this is a digital download. Buy 13 of them. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I think what I, I, from what I can suss from the article is that. Morheim wanted to do this. And then he started talking to other former employees and they all kind of, a lot of them left and were making their own smaller studios, which, you know, like that you, you mentioned, there's a lot of pitfalls to that. I think he's trying to bring a stability to being like, okay, under Dreamhaven, you guys are going to do what you're going to do. You're going to bring me the best thing possible. Like he's not going to make like these edicts of like, we need to have this type of game or whatever. So he's trusting them because they worked under him for years previously. And I think there's a certain, like, this is going to be different. And, and, and I watch mark my words, like four or five years from now, whenever, you know, whenever, um, the fleshy head mutants like rule the earth, but we still have video games. Maybe they put out shit. I don't think they're going to, I also don't think they're going to put out the same thing. Cause people, I think people are going to expect them to put out like the next, like, you know, RTS meaning real time strategy, which is what Starcraft and Warcraft, uh, was originally like, like they don't have to make the games that were like what got them where they're going because they made these games 20, 30 years ago. Um, the marketplace and also their wants and needs as creative people, I'm sure have changed. So who knows where they're going to go with this? Um, I do want to make a note that some of the people that have joined over with them worked on a game called Hearthstone, which I know you don't know what that is, Steve, but it's a online card game. Like, you know, basically it's, um, a card battling game that, uh, when Blizzard developed it, they, they put like a small team of people and they made it. This is one of their biggest money makers right now. Like it is making gangbusters. And if the people that developed Hearthstone making it for this like PC and mobile platform, meaning that I could play Hearthstone on my phone, if I had a better phone, my tablet, my PC, and, and have the same functionality there as I can my computer and keep me engaged. I wonder what they have in their pocket that they're thinking about making that could be the next big thing. I, th I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent here. I can't speak to a lot of people specifically cause I'm not that like well ingrained in knowledge of who does what, but um, yeah, there's a pedigree here. And so it's going to be a wait and see type of thing, but it's going to be more optimistic. Like they, they have to show me fall on their keys before I doubt their ability. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense, and I, I don't know if this completely applies to the video game analogy, but uh, using Image as the analogy, I think one of the things to keep in mind about Image was is that one of the things that not so much saved them as a company, but really build a, built their brand beyond the original seven creators who founded Image 
was taking chances on things, you know, um, and I, God knows that like in the last couple of years, I've had a, 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 a total, uh, reevaluation of Todd McFarlane and has sort of fallen back in love with, uh, his artwork and, and, uh, uh, his business acumen and all that stuff. And I'll say that people probably know spawn, but there's probably more people who know walking dead. Yeah. And, you know, image, you know, for, for every big, you know, extreme title or, um, I'm trying to uh, like cyber force. I'm trying to think, uh, top cow, those, uh, subsidiaries of image, you know, those studios, um, some of their biggest hits were things that they found exploring, trying to build the brand. And I, 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 I imagine that'll probably apply in somewhat to, to how they're going to approach, the industry but yeah. you could also tell me that i'm full of shit and wrong i don't know but. but no 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 like so so yes there's been talk here that dreamhaven like uh, morheim said that you know they're they're not against opening additional studios um they'll just see like they like they, they refer to their approach as opportunistic meaning if there's a good thing gone we're gonna like try to get on it so yeah we'll see how this goes this might be a new model going forward uh, but again like you know i have a feeling that um there's that you get that notion of like you were indie, but then you became commercial and now you want to go back being indie. You, you can respect that. And if they're, if they're in a position where like they have, like they're still financially stable because of their previous successes, I don't, I'm not against creators like trying to, to light that fire again of like, g- give us nothing. And we've done it before. We're going to try it again. So I think there's, I think there's good grounds there for good product. Yeah, I will say that it's it's always a, and, and I I understand that there's a commercialization and there's a a corporate um, stigma that can be attached to certain things like, but it's always funny to me when people are like, yeah, they're too corporate, they sold out, and it's like, you see it a lot with music, but it, it's always interesting to me. It's like, well, why wouldn't they want to be more successful? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying like give up on your 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 goals or you know. Like if you're raging against the machine and you're, you know, making politically charged music and things like that, like, I don't think they ever went commercial. But the point that I'm making is, is that like, if they did, it would just be like, okay, well, why wouldn't they want to be more successful to get their, their message out to people or to do things that they, you know, build their, so that they can be, you know, who they are. I, I. I, I always struggle with any time, you know, people are like, yeah, such and such was better when they, before they sold out. And I'm like, ah, you know, <laughs> that's the point. That's the reason they started this for the most part was yeah. to, to become successful. So, yeah. You know. yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't even argue that these guys sold out. It's just like they became so big. Then it's probably a matter of like how many different meetings you have to attend when you just want to get back to making games, you know? So if, if you find me a, a band that like, you know, uh, will, say that they're happier playing bars than being, you know, playing out to arenas. They're lying. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, maybe like on a comfort level, maybe, but like they, it's, it's, it's all about reaching the, the most amount of people as you possibly can. Yeah. That's, I don't know which band it was. that said, it's like, yeah, they call sellouts. It's like, we do every arena we go to. And it's like, yep. All right. There you go. Was it Metallica that said it that? It may have actually yeah. been. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know that off the top of my head, but it, it seems very fitting. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So Dreamhaven, I guess, well, th- this is going to be those things that with the game development studio, you're not going to hear about a project uh, like straight off the rip. So it's going to be like, you know, six months to a year, probably longer before we get any information about what they're doing. But, uh, well, you know, I want it now. Yeah, right. 
you know, make it, make it now, make it good, make, make good things now. Right. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I think it was a story of worth mentioning. So yeah, that's going to do it uh, for news. So uh, let's get into, um, we'll get into 1983 strange brew, continuing our journey through beer and comedy. Um, not as much sports in this one as last week's movie, but yeah, here we go. We're going to talk about some strange brew. And now for our feature presentation. All right. Uh, 1983 strange brew. Um, it, it, this is, it's going to be an odd one to talk about. Not because I don't love this movie because I adore it. It's just like, where do you start with a film that you love and it makes you laugh? And it's like, it's a fun movie. So I'm going to start with you, Steve. You're just a smidge older than me. I'm like, I'm like 23. You're 25. Um, not really. Uh, you're 26. I know it. But what is your relationship with SCTV? Second City Television. That was the, the um, sketch comedy show in Canada, right? That spawned this. How familiar are you with that show? All right. So I don't want to, I don't want to skip over your question, but I'm actually going to go a little bit before that. My, my first, okay. um, my first, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? My, my first exposure to, to Bob and, uh, Doug McKenzie wasn't SCTV. It was, uh, 1981's album, the great white North. Mm-hmm. My, my sister had it, had it. And, uh, I used to listen to that thing over and over and over again. Uh, I loved it so much. I was probably, well, in 81, I was, you know, seven years old, but I probably listed, listened to it uh, over the next probably 10 years, you know, pretty consistently. And uh, it's actually the only comedy album I think that I still own. Um, <laughs> I uh, have to listen to the 12 Days of Christmas every Christmas. It's like... People have their go-to Christmas songs. For me, it's Bob and Doug's 12 Days of Christmas. Yes. Um, I, I absolutely adore that. Uh, I'm not a Rush fan, but Take Off from that album, which features Getty on it, is really, really great. Um, and then there's all, all the bits that they do on the album. So that was my first exposure to it. Um, I would later find SCTV late 80s when Nickelodeon and it might've been even early nineties Nickelodeon before they, uh, really started their neck at night with like, I think their own content. They, they did Nick at night, which they would show old episodes of, um, the Smothers Brothers show. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh God, laughing. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones, uh, the, the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, my three sons, they did this whole retro block, which at the time was probably only 20 years old. Um, so it's probably like kids watching friends now, but, uh, which makes me feel old and sad. (laughs) uh, (laughs) What was interesting about it was, is that they would do old episodes of Saturday Night Live followed by old episodes of SCTV. And so I, I immediately like started picking up on all those because it was, it was like people that I was into at the time, but finding out that they had this whole other like thing that they'd done 10 years prior. So you've got, you know, John Candy, you've got Joe, um, Joe Flaherty doing Count Floyd, which I still don't understand why there hasn't been a quick Count Floyd movie. Um, you've got Eugene Levy, Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas, um, uh, Catherine O'Hara, who just won an Emmy for Schitt's Creek. Uh, 
it, Eugene Levy. Did you mention? I think you may have mentioned yeah, him. Eugene yeah, Eugene yeah. Levy. Uh, yeah. So uh, SCTV was really, really funny stuff and really subversive in a lot of ways that I think uh, Siren Live wasn't. Um, so I had discovered that there were actually <laughs> episodes with, you know, skits of uh, Bob and Doug. And uh, at that point, I think I finally sought out Strange Brew. So I probably didn't come to the movie till maybe 1990, probably hmm. seven years after the movie had come out because I didn't really know that it existed. Um, so my long story short is, is that I discovered Bob and Doug McKenzie through the comedy album. I came to SCTV through Nick at Night many years later and then discovered the film. That's valid. So, like, that's, I, I think I'm kind of in the same spot. Actually, I think I'd seen the movie. I can't remember the first time I saw the movie. And then I think I was in college when I heard um, The Great White North, which is a great comedy album, people. It's like you want just two guys just, like, ad-libbing being, like, just idiots. Not even ad-libbing. I'm sure there's a little bit of that. But I love, uh, like, their discussion about, like, um, Canadian math, like a conver- conversion, like, uh, Celsius to Fahrenheit where it's like, you know, it's double it and had 30. It is like talking about like, let's say that you have two pounds of back bacon. It's like, yeah, but if you want to do it in like Canadian, it's like double it had 30. So you're going to have like, like, you know, like 34 pounds of back bacon or whatever it was like, like it's just great. Um, and then also what was it? Um, their, what would they call it? The beer hunter. That was their Russian roulette where they would, uh, shake a beer up and put it in the thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot of fun. And I, you know, and I think you and I both knew Rick Moranis more from ghostbusters and things. And Dave Thomas, I knew more later he was in, um, Oh shit. Uh, he was in, what was her name? Brett, not Brett. Um, Grace under fire. Grace under fire. Yeah, he was yeah. a he was the pharmacist, like the pharmacy guy in that, and he ended up showing up later uh, in a couple episodes of Arrested Development. He's amazing in that too. So like I, you know, like I found like I found Dave Thomas later, but like Rick Rance was like the bigger of the two, at least stateside, right? But SCTV, I didn't know much about it, but I, there's this one skit I remember. You talk about Joe Flaherty. It was a it was a skit called Revenge, where it was like a prank show, but they were getting revenge on people. And then I remember one of the revenge things was uh, that then this person got tired of the garbage truck not stopping and properly emptying the garbage cans. So their idea was to put um, like garbage bags full of tissue paper out for weeks, so the garbage people would be like, "Oh," and then you know, like this is real easy. And they got to the point where they would drive by at like 30, 40 miles an hour and just grab the bags. And they said, and now this week we filled them full of concrete. And you just, you just see <laughs> this garbage truck blow by. You don't actually see the, the aftermath, but you hear this noise of this guy reaching his arm out just to grab this bag at speed. And it's like, you find out this revenge show is actually causing crimes and everyone's like, you know, going to be arrested. It was just a fun, silly skit. And I just, I can't not like, I always think of that. Um, so so yeah, like SCTV subverses the right way to mention that. Uh, the Great White North is a really funny album. Um, and so much like we're familiar with a lot of different skits and characters coming out Saturday Night Live uh, and making their own movies for, for better or for worse. Um, like I even referenced uh, Wayne's World today. You know, this tells you like how some, some stuff has staying power or my references are just completely dated. I don't know. Um so Bob and Doug McKenzie, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, which are, they're just like two, just two kind of dopey, uh, Canadian guys, but like, um, you know, th- somehow this got parlayed into a film, 
And this is the only film from a skit that got made from SCTV. So it's kind of a, like, it's a weird, it's like, it's, it's its own, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's a one-off that probably shouldn't have existed, but it does. So here we are. Um, yeah. Strange brew. I, I, I remember, I, I like, I think I grew up with this movie and then finding out about the guys later, um, a couple years ago, the Cleveland cinemas had their, uh, dingus day celebration in town which is very much a um a polish and uh, i think czechoslovakian thing you guys could tell me i'm wrong i'm sorry but part of the dingus day celebration they had a one dollar uh ticket for strange brew and so i took my wife to go see it because she had never seen it before i'm like we're gonna watch this in the theater and it was a hoot so i i adore this movie yeah and it's interesting sctv was uh, and, and i literally just uh, for whatever reason made this um, connection in my head uh, as you're talking. SCTV is sort of like UHF, but without stuff about Weird Al trying to run the station. <laughs> it's literally SCTV was a, a, a sketch comedy show that was set around a fictitious TV station. So you would get ads. I think one of my favorite ads was uh, it was it was John Candy doing an ad for like his sex shop store. And he's got like a, 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 I think he's wearing a mask or he's got like a snake on his face. And like, it's so bizarre. It's so off the charts, weird. And uh, if I remember correctly, Eugene Levy's like newscaster guy. Uh, one of my other favorite skits was him doing like a public service announcement for libraries. But like he, he talks about how important it is that children be literate and, how important it is to get them to read. And then he ends it by telling people to get their kids up to a library. (laughs) (laughs) It's that type of humor. Um, But it goes in so many other places. I mean, obviously I think the other thing that I I haven't mentioned uh, in while he's not in this, but Martin shorts and Grimley, which became a big thing in the eighties. That's true. Spawned from this as well. So, SCTV was sort of, and I don't want to be like, oh, it's the Canadian Saturday Night Live, but it, because it was its own thing and it was so much more than that, but like it was the equivalent, I guess. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and those or, people kind of became just as big as that original SNL crew. Like you might not have the kids in the hall if there wasn't SCTV. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good call, actually. And I, I, as we talk about the film, I wanted to mention this. Because it came across, uh, I came across it in my research, and I think it's a, a quote from Dave Thomas talking about crafting the film. But it made me think about a lot of the comedy that I like, and why I like this style of comedy so much, is that he talks about, in trying to write a movie for it, is he says, we're taking two guys talking about how hard it was to get a parking spot at a donut shop, and making it into a full-length feature. Like, I think a lot of the comedy that I, I've grown up with, that I love, is that it whether it's you know bill and ted wayne's world um randall and dante and clerks like sort of this mundane comedy that they're able to make really funny yeah that's a good call i think um you know you mentioned that it's like these are just two dudes that uh they stumble into this much bigger plot Uh, but i also like that uh so the premise is these two guys that are slackers they're now like uh they're not entirely bright. Um, Doug is Dave Thomas. If I get like, I always get them confused, right? Like in terms of who's who I think he's Doug. Right. So yeah. Uh, Doug, Doug always uh, pretends to be the smarter one. 
And, but he, he also shows that he's smart sometimes. Like it's, it's like, it's a very hit or miss. And then Bob is kind of more of the, like, he's the one that cares. He has the bigger heart, but they, they, he's the younger brother. And so like, they're just two slacker dudes that, um, they, the movie starts off with them being big enough that they made a movie, but then, which is like, it's, it's this weird meta thing. I like, and I forgot, I've seen this movie multiple times, but I always forget about the MGM line at the beginning. That's a great gag. I love the actual lion not doing anything. And they go over and kind of just like, you know, poke the lion and they, they, they crank the tail to get the lion to roar and it won't do it. I love it. It's such a stupid gag, but it makes me laugh every single time. Yeah. I mean, it literally is the same device that they use in the first Wayne's world, obviously not the lion, but <laughs> Wayne's world and strange brew, at least the skits were very similar in that. Like it was two guys sitting in front of a background talking, yes. you know, Wayne and Garth were on a couch. Uh, these guys are in chairs with a map of Canada behind them. Uh, and then many beer cans. But, uh, what I, th- I think is interesting is, is that both this film and Wayne's world start with them doing their quote unquote show and then <laughs> slowly going into what a movie would be. It's like, they start you with the skit and then slowly take you out of it. So they're like, well, there's more to this. And that, I, I that's really fair. Like that. I hadn't thought about that. You're hundred percent right. But, but they, they end up like the skit supposedly shows this movie that they've made, um, which I forget the name of their movie in a movie. Um, oh, it's mutant mutants from uh, twenty one fifty one AD. There you go, and there's a brief skit of like this this homemade movie that they made, and it's still one of I, I mean as as much as I love this movie, there's a lot of parts. My favorite, I think, my favorite part of the movie that makes me laugh so hard every single time is Rick Moranis wearing a jock strap on the outside of himself with a hockey helmet, and he's reaching over and grabbing a tiny statue of Liberty that's been broken, and like he's holding it, and you hear Dave Thomas off screen be like. Psst. <laughs> Like, I just don't know what it is about it. It's amazing to me, and I love it. It's funny too because he pauses, and you like you hear him just say "act," act, <laughs> and it's like he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. But yeah. the thing that I love about that that scene in particular too is is that like he's giving backstory on what has happened to the Earth, and he talks about how it all went down when he was vacationing from Earth on another. Planet. <laughs> yeah, but he also calls it. He calls it. Was it? Uh, nuclear desecration. I think that's what he calls it. But, uh, but yeah, I, I love that. I love like the, 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 the shitty look of the van whenever it's being lowered, like it's landing all this stuff. I just, it's very like very, very low budget on purpose. And I think it's a double fake for this film, which I mean, the film is relatively low budget. Let's be honest. It was made for 4 million at the time, which um, wasn't even a big budget then. Uh, and you know, I mean, it's a comedy, like, I mean, it's a comedy with, it's more about the performances and you can see the painted backgrounds, which I think look great here. And I don't know how much they paid Max von Sydow to be in this, but you know, like he's, he is, he's the secret weapon in this whole movie. Um, but like, whatever, anyway, like they do the double fake of like, this is the shitty movie and then it falls apart. And then you meet these guys and they realize that like, they don't have money when they go home. Uh, they forgot to buy it. They couldn't buy beer for their father. Who's voiced by Mel Blanc blank Blanc, whatever. It's Canadian. It's Blanc, right? Um, I've always said blank. It's blank. No, it's blank. It's like, you know, uh, you know, uh, Mel, Mel Blanco. No. And so that kind of, that, that kind of kicks them off in the story of where they're going to try to get free beer because they don't have money. And they claim that they're, they found a mouse in a bottle 
which is a payoff from an earlier comment in the movie. They found a mouse in the bottle for this, this brewery called Elsinore Brewery. So then they're convinced to go there to confront them directly. And then we get a very loose interpretation of um, Macbeth, which I think is wonderful. Like even is the name Macbeth? of Macbeth, I, I thought it was Hamlet. It's Hamlet, probably. You're right. It's it's a Shakespeare thing. Um, let me see here. It's, it's Hamlet. It's Hamlet. Okay. You're right. It's Hamlet, not Macbeth. Um, and so then we get Elsinore Brewery, which is directly like named after the castle or the area in Hamlet, Elsinore. Uh, but they get a loose retelling of what happened with the the you know the royal family with the family of this uh, brewery. And I just love that these guys are stumbling into a Shakespeare story. It, I think that's I think it's. It's really smart writing for a really dumb film that's written well. What I wish would have happened, and I realized that, you know, 1983 movies were made differently than they were, say, you know, even 20 years ago. Um, When they made Anchorman, they had shot like enough footage that they made like a supplemental movie Mm -hmm. that um, was released, I think, on DVD. I kind of wish they would have shot all of Mutants of 2150 <laughs> Yes. I would love to see what that movie would have been because it, it's it's maybe three minutes of the movie, but God, is it so funny. I it's do love so that. good. Just Dave, um, just Dave Thomas with pantyhose on his head with oranges stuffed on his, like, <laughs> at the top of his head with pantyhose pulled down so he looks like an alien. And he was just like, no, eh? Like, go away, you flesh-headed mutant. It's like, no, take off. <laughs> like, it's just so dumb. I love it. <laughs> And it's hard not to love these guys. Like, uh, I, I realize that it's, it's, you know, you could say that it's lowbrow humor or whatever, but, oh man, the two of them are so good at, at what they do. And I know that when they're talking about writing the film, that was one of the issues that they ran into was that a lot of what they did on SCTV was improvised. And a lot of the interactions between the two were, were improvised. So it was hard to put that into a script, but, I think that the chemistry between the two of them works so incredibly well. I, I think that they make a great pairing. And as we get further into the movie, um, just seeing the way that they sort of play off of each other is, is I think that's worth the price of admission alone for the movie. <laughs> like it makes me wonder, like this is me jumping way ahead, but when they're in um, the mental institution and they both have straight jackets on, and uh, Dave Thomas says he's going to do a steamroller. I wonder if that was improvised completely just because it's like, it's so funny watching Rick Moranis try to get away from Dave Thomas and Dave Thomas is just rolling over top of him. Like, I'm sure they're just like, just do whatever. We'll get through the scene. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to roll over my friend because it's really, really funny. Yeah. And I mean, there are bits clearly that are, that are written into the film that are, you know, plot points, but I'm wondering how much of the interactions between them was actually like, well, here's the basis of the scene. This is what we have, but we're just going to go off of that as a starting point because like the electroshock therapy section where they're like taking turns, getting shocked. Like how much of that do you think was this them just, just (laughs) like just being dumb and just saying dumb things to each other? Cause it feels really natural. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think you know, the moment that I think of too with that is uh, when they're uh, like looking for electricity in the uh, lunchroom of, uh, of yeah. the Elsinore factory. Um, I, I love the fact that like yeah, Bob is talking about how he wants to get the machines to run so that he can drink all the chocolate, <laughs> milk, even though the machines have been off. But like. 
I feel like a lot of that was improvised too. I, I can't say for certain, but that whole scene just feels very like loose and very much them just playing off of each other. What I know the line of like, I kiss you if I didn't have puke breath was improvised <laughs> by Rick Moranis. I know that when he talks to <laughs> the, the girl who is the one that's the heir to the factory or the brewery. Um, so yeah, like they're play they're, they're, um, yeah, this their chemistry is what carries this. Like, it's a. I mean, I'm not saying the plotting of this movie. It's like it's a comedy, so you know, uh, you know, you kind of kind of come up with the expectation that sometimes some scenes are just there for a joke, and that's okay. Um, but I feel like the story actually makes sense. I mean, it's dumb. Like, I mean, I, and I'm not being dumb as in like they didn't think about it. It's purposely dumb. Like it's, it's a, they, they do enough to ground enough of it in reality of like, you know, these two brothers that are trying to like get free beer and they end up working at the, the brewery. And then they stumble into this nefarious plot by, um, Max, Max von Sydow's character, brewmaster Smith, who wants to put a mind control drug in the beer and then like get beer out to all of Canada and then the world so he can take over people. Like it's never his end game other than taking over the world isn't exactly the most efficient because like there might be people out there that may not drink Elsinore beer, but I guess, you know, you'll figure that out later. And then it's also driven by a keyboard and the sounds that it plays like a synthesizer. There's a lot there. It's like you as a bad guy, you need to play more of this, but as a comedy, I'm down for it. I love the idea that the synthesizer doubles as like a, a organ for a hockey game pretty much. And they have the patients of the asylum being drugged with beer. And then because there's certain tones being played, they automatically go down uh, to one of the storage facilities that's covered in ice and they wear hockey equipment. And then they play hockey because the organ tells them. So that is one of the most Canadian things I can think of. Well, I think also the fact that uh, so much of it, and it's in the comedy element as well. Um, because uh, even in the 12 days of Christmas, uh, Day twelve is is twelve donuts, but <laughs> the things that they they bring to uh, you know their characters like the, their love of donuts, the the fact that they bribe the um, the receptionist at the Elsinore factory with donuts, um, and it's not played like oh you know how do I say this? In lesser films, I feel like it would be paid like it would be played like. Oh, you know, it's a fat person being bribed with a donut. No, it's just that they all love donuts. Like <laughs> they're embracing this Canadian thing of like we all love donuts, eh? Um, I love well, the fact because they bribe the dog, they bribe a uh, hosehead with a donut to begin with, and when they're like, whenever the, um, they're trying to get the beer out of the bowl to pour into a glass for their dad, which is the the most disgusting thing ever. <laughs> so they're trying to bribe the dog and then they bribe the receptionist where it's like, okay, well, that's a jelly. <laughs> like the whole thing, like that adds value because it's a jelly donut. But what I love about it is, is that Dave Thomas first bribes her with a donut and they need more information. And he looks over at Bob and he's like, give give her another one or whatever. And he's like, that's my last one. He's like, just give it to her. And he's like, all right, it's, it's a jelly. Like, yeah, they're pulling it out of their pocket. Like it's a wad of cash, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a donut. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of, you know, sub- subversive humor. I, I really enjoy it. I love the fact that it's not about, the person who's getting the donut. I love the fact that it's just about people loving donuts and beer. Well, even, um, even even at the end, whenever uh, Bob's talking to the police and he's like, okay, so we get a head count. We're going to have some back bacon sandwiches later. Like, like, yeah. it's, 
so, it's like such a toss away line. And then it's like, you have like six minutes to go in your film, like literally. And he's like, yeah, uh, just want to just say, uh, we, uh, my, my brother has some unpaid parking tickets. <laughs> he's calling all these cops out. It's so, it's so great. I also love exchanges where they like Doug, while he never actually does it, he also has this running gag of like, like no matter what's going on, he's going to throw Bob under the bus. Yes. Like <laughs> there's a, at the beginning of the film, when they get to the factory, the heiress to the, to the uh, Elsinore factory is stuck in two electrical gates that are enclosed in the car. So they can't get her out. And uh, they, they come up with the decision that they're going to have to ram her to get her out of it. And Doug just turns to Bob and he's like, you drive, eh? And he's like, well, why am I driving? And he's like, because if she wants to sue, I'm just a hitchhiker that you picked up on the road. There, <laughs> there are moments where where Doug will often like make a comment about like completely abandoning Bob yeah. if need be. But, but he I, never does. I also that's give, what's sweet about it. I'll give Doug credit that he accurately pointed out that because the gates were electric, that the, the car was grounded, so she can't get out. So he actually <laughs> yeah. knew what he was talking about. And then he was like, Oh, I'm just I'm just a hitchhiker. You're gonna take you're gonna take this. And then there was another bit early earlier in the film where it's like, You've you've been drinking. He's like, I didn't have that much. He's like, Yeah, I'm gonna drive or whatever. Like there's just dumb stuff that like that happens. <laughs> And they constantly, yeah, he constantly throws uh, his younger brother under under the bus. But you could tell, like, there's a bit later where they finally get separated for the first time in the film, and it's like it's like they can't do it because they're just like sad. And then then um, Doug immediately talks to the one guy. He's like, God, "I'm glad we're done with those losers or whatever." And he moves on, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I immediately also think of, um, and again, I don't know if he's a film fan of this film or not, but I think of. Kevin Smith, uh, particularly with Jane Silent Bob in Mallrats, you know, Doug in this film has a uh, an aptitude for electronics because he even says something about, uh, you know, he wired our house, uh, I think the stereo unit or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's Bob's whole gig in the movie is in Mallrats is, is that, you know, Jay talks about that, like, he's got this aptitude for electronics and was able to. Uh, I don't remember what it was. It was build something out of like chicken wire and a vibrator, but like (laughs) it's a very similar approach, I think to the character. And I, I do now wonder after rewatching this and kind of piecing the two together, I'm like, God, there's so many things that are seated in this film that I find in other films that I've liked later on. And And I'm wondering how much of that influenced other films. Oh, it has to, it has to influence Kevin Smith because there's direct star Wars comments in this as well. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we should mention that. Please, uh, yeah. And I, 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 this was part of our game last week. It was how I ended our show. But uh, um, Angus McInnes, who plays uh, Gene LaRose, or as he likes to be called, Rosie, uh, who's a former NFL player who works at the factory, um, was gold leader in Star Wars. So um, it's not lost on people. In fact, it pops up twice in the IMDb for some reason. That uh, there's a Star Wars discussion that happens in front of him. Yeah, and and I just want to put I like that uh, one that, that Dave Thomas is like doing like a kind of a Darth Vader because he's wearing the black goalie equipment and he's <laughs> that's that's funny. And I also like that whatever uh, Bob's like, yeah, he's seen Jedi like 17 times. I like that the trivia is that they they didn't know what to call the film because at the time it wasn't sure if it was Revenge of the Jedi or Return of the Jedi, so they referred mm-hmm. to as Jedi. Which I'm going to say that. Maybe they started that talk of referring to the film as Jedi, but you know, who knows? 
I mean, it's it's interesting because I think we've had this discussion where I'm like, I don't know anybody who calls Star Wars Episode Four, unless yeah. it's on like a movie board or a movie board, sorry, Facebook or someplace where there's a discussion about films, where people will say A New Hope or call it, you know, Episode Four. Everybody that like grew up in our generation either calls it calls it Star Wars, calls it Empire, and calls it Jedi for short. Like yeah. those. That's how you refer to those movies. Nobody ever calls it episode five so but, or episode six. Well, there's that gag too with uh, Dave Thomas with uh, uh, the um, with Doug in the in the goal whenever the the white team comes up to him and they just stop short and he was like Ugh, like talking about the force or whatever mm-hmm. and then they come back and they just crash the net and take him out which is like I thought that was funny so it's like there was a little bit of this where I feel like now. I feel like it's a little it's a little much whenever other films get like very like reference specific, but it's like then it's like you know it was it was a phenomena and how often can you call back to other films directly? You know I don't know like there I'm sure there's other homages in this film. I can't I you know there's a couple that probably fail me. There's probably some very specific Canadian things that go on this film I can't pick up either. Um, I do like. Um, that they did an intermission of all of like 10 seconds after like the saddest point in the film that <laughs> yeah. felt, that felt very Monty Python to me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just this film. It, it like, um, as much as we talked last week about how basketball would have its roots in like the airplane, like the Zucker mentality, and then also kind of mixed with uh, Parker and stone um, with this, it's like, there's also a little bit of that Looney Tunes quality to this that that is it's not it's not airplane specific. It is more like um like the bit whenever they're uh under tr- in trial and um and Doug has to put the bullets in his nose and he sneezes and they fire and they bounce all over the courtroom. That's a cartoon moment. And that's fine. Um, cause this film set a lot of this up, like just some of the things are going on, but not every single sequence had to have a cartoony bit. Like when Bob drinks all the beer, uh, and you know, the tank and he becomes like, you know, <laughs> I don't know, an inflated man that's huge and can't even get out. And he's like, I have to pee. It's like, like that's cartoony. Whenever um, Dave Thomas goes up against that, that big thing that Rick Moranis is in and it tries moving him and touches him with a crotch. He's like, Whoa feels kind of good. Like that's dumb, but funny. Um, like there's, there's these outrageous cartoon moments, but not every bit of comedy is cartoonish. And I think they, I think they walk a pretty good line between what is and what isn't. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 in doing research for this, I, I, I read that Max von Sydow, um, when he was approached, um, did it because his son read it and was a huge SCTV fan, which I always find that fascinating whenever you come across something where you're like, wow, that's so interesting that that person was in it. And then you find out that they did it because their kid was a huge, you know, fan of whatever or encouraged them. Um, but his introduction to the film is, is great because, um, we meet, uh, Paul Dooley's character of Claude. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know who Paul Dooley is, he's in like, I don't know, like a, a thousand different things from the eighties, but I, to me, he'll always be the father in 16 candles. Um, the schlubby guy who forgot his daughter's birthday and is just trying to get through the day. Um, I, I really love his performance in that movie. Cause he's just so it's, it's a completely opposite from, opposite from this, but he's just like a guy who's, you know, got a family and is trying to get through his kid's wedding and 
realizes that he's forgotten his daughter's birthday and they have a very great scene i i will always think of him for that scene um as he's talking to molly ringwald but in this film he's one of the villains when we first meet him uh he's asking where max von sido's character is and they point to a wall and it's supposed to be like you're expecting a a, like a reveal like it's going to be a secret wall that's going to open up and there's going to be like a you know computer or a a layer of some sort and it's just a bathroom. Yeah. And I, I love that take on it where it's like, you're introducing Max von Sydow's character into this film. And where are you starting with him at? He's in the bathroom. <laughs> like, yeah. You have, uh, you know, uh, what's his name from, uh, flash Gordon, right? You have, um, what, what's, what the he played a uh, freaking, what's his name? Um, the main bad guy in that. God damn it. Uh, Oh, Ming the Merciless? Ming the Mer- you got Ming Mer- Merciless coming out of a bathroom, shaking it off, and then, uh, you know, <laughs> talking and going forward. But I love, he has some of the greatest, like, um, like straight-faced, like, I can't believe I'm talking to this idiot faces in the film. I love that. I love that the the assistant, he's like, do you want me to light the map up? He's like, yeah, just do it for me. <laughs> it's just him lighting the map up. Like, he's great in this. Like, just, he knows what kind of film he's in. And he brings enough gravity to his character and he's just so great at knowing he's in this dumb comedy, but he's like the villain. And I, I love his performance in this. Well, also I think the thing that's amazing is, is that there's never, he never gives a perform. Well, I shouldn't say gives a performance. He never lets on that. He knows the type of movie that he's in. He's straight faced throughout the entire. Oh movie. yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and he never comments on how ridiculous the plot is getting. I love the fact that the two of them, in order to frame Bob and Doug, are running around in outfits dressed like them. Like, I, I don't know why I find that so funny, but it's just like, it's so weird seeing Max von Sydow and Paul Dooley dressed like Bob and Doug, uh, getting ready to try and frame them uh, because of the video cameras uh, that are going to be recording them. Um, and the fact that uh, his, his whole uh, thing is that he runs in a sane asylum that is literally right next door. <laughs> like I caught, I caught the, the bit of dialogue uh, that, um, that Dave Thomas says about that. I'll mention that in a second. I just want to mention that the side out and duly dressed as Bob and Doug reminds me of that curtain meme now where it's like, Oh, but I want Bob and Doug. And, and it's like, mom says, no, I have, we have Bob and Doug at home and it sh- would show them instead of like, you know, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, that feels like that right. meme. Um, you know, or when you order Bob and Doug off of wish, and this is what you get that that's what that feels like. But there's a bit where towards the end when Rosie's like, oh, no, there's a tunnel that connects to the asylum and the brewery. Dave Thomas says out loud. He's like, well, that's highly convenient. Like, it's like it's like the biggest, like, hand wave in the movie. And it's great that he's like, well, that's convenient. Well, I love when they pull up too. the first time they get to the factory. There's like four roadsides. And what is just like Elsinore Research? What is Elsinore Beer Factory? And then one of them just is like. Uh, you know, um, something, something for the for mentally. mentally <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it though. Like, uh, like, uh, Doug's telling Bob, he's like, well, I'll take you to Looney bin. He's like, well, no, he's like something. He's like, okay, first we'll go to the, the, the beer factory. Then I'm dropping you off of the Looney bin. Eh? Like, I just love <laughs> like that. Uh, but then, um, like I just, 
there's even a bit later whenever um, they're being framed and they have the kegs in the back of their van that actually have two bodies in them. So they're supposedly going to be the frame for the kidnapping and murder of two people. But they don't know about this. And they, they know that they're like, they don't know their brake lines have been cut. Uh, there's this, that brief bit where um, Rick Branch asked, asked Dave Thomas, he's like, hey, did you ever notice how people in movies don't look at the road while they're driving? And it's like, it's it's a meta break, I know, but I just love how Dave Thomas puts his elbow on the wheel and he's like, no, I've never heard that before. And like, they're just like talking for a second and then all of a sudden they look back at the road. Um, that was really funny as well. I know, I feel like I'm doing a greatest hits, but they know they know what movie they're making and I know that um, they both directed the film. They were not intended to do it, but they know what they're wanting to make. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a magic to that. I think that, you know, for everything that was improvised, I think also there are a lot of bits that are clearly set up, uh, whether it be in the script or when they were shooting on the day that are, that are a lot more technical. The, the scene that, um, takes place with them, you know, drinking beer underwater. I still yes. marvel at that. And I'm like, how did they do that? Like, I know it's a series of shots and I understand that there's probably somebody right behind them with a respirator ready to like throw it in their mouth. But like, I don't know. Every time I watch that scene, I'm like, I don't know. It, it feels like it feels very complicated to me. It, it, I uh, agree that, that I was watching this for the, again, uh, with like, you know, trying to watch it with fresh eyes and that whole sequence is like, it's really funny and very like Looney Tunes, especially with, um, uh, with what's his face, uh, Rosie, the Rose as well with them down there drinking the beers. And then when they finish them, they put, they just like, put them on the, the ceiling of the van because they were floating. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and you know, it's like, that's such a funny moment, especially whenever the cops like roll down your window and Dave Thomas rolls down the window and hands over his license. <laughs> like they're underwater. Right. You're right. Like it's, how many, how many takes and shots that take to do that? I, I imagine that was probably the toughest shot in this movie. I could be wrong, but if I had to guess, I, I would have to say that would be the most complicated. And I still, Again, it, it's not like, you know, uh, yes, it's movie magic and it's 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 not like, you know, oh, how did they do the special effects in, you know, the Matrix? But it's it's still just an impressive shot. Where I'm like, that's a really long way to go for a joke. And yes. I appreciate that. No, it's amazing. And that's I, I, I love that bit. Like there's that and also like Rick Moranis in the large suit or whatever it was, like the overstuffed, like water filled, whatever, where he's just really big. Like, and then the, how they pay that gag off where it's like, son, you did what you did uh, more in four minutes than we could have done in four hours. He's like, well, okay. And he's like, did you, if you want a job with us, like talking to the fire department, it's like, like, this is, this is the one time watching it. And I'm like, that whole place is going to stink like beer pee. Like, how can you, how can you ever come back from that? Like, just, like, it's still a funny also- bit though. I, I think uh, um, going back to like their interplay, and again, I, I apologize because I'm turning this into a greatest hits of the movie. But I love the fact that like <laughs> when they're getting their mug shots, Doug again is talking about like, oh, they're gonna love you here. You're such a little guy. And Bob's like, what do you mean? <laughs> He's like, oh, little guy with like you. They're gonna love you here. And then like you see them in prison, but it's it's instead it's you know Bob's being quiet. And Doug is telling them like about how much of a badass he is to the, to the rest of the yeah. prisoners and how Bob would kill, all, you know, the lawyer, uh, you know, there's like, well, we wouldn't get a lawyer, you know, because, you know, he'd probably kill him. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love that sort of you, you, you're being built up for one thing and then the next scene you're seeing a completely different thing. And I, I love their relationship between the two. Um, and I'd be remiss. 
if I didn't talk about when we get to the lawyer um, and we see oh, him yes. interacting with the press. That feels like a Zucker moment, but I love it. It's so good. It honestly, it, it, it feels like it should be in UHF. Like I, yes. I don't know. <laughs> once I'm watching it, it makes me laugh every time. Their lawyer, as they're going into court, uh, tells Bob and Doug, hold off, I'm going to deal with the press. Give me a moment. And he goes up and he physically starts fighting the press. And it's amazing. Like, I don't think you have the showdown amongst all the different news teams in Anchorman without that segment. Oh, that's a good call. It's a very good call. Yeah, and then and then the movie just resumes as normal. I, I love, <laughs> but that it, but I love that there's the one female reporter that's waiting, and then she just like puts out her cigarette and challenges the guy. Like it's so mm-hmm. great. Like it's so great. Well, oh. there's that too, and then uh, after that scene finishes, Bob's just like, uh, "Don't let me forget to pay his bill on time." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, it's just like the film kind of fluctuates between like. That and like there, there's the bit when they get the data disc and they take it home and they put it on the record player. It's like, oh, it's one of the square records. And then, and Bob's like, oh, I think it's one of those new wave, like, you know, like punk bands or whatever. And they put the, the, they put the needle on this disc and it makes the screeching noise. He's like, I, I don't know. He's like, yeah, it's one of those futuristic new wave bands or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's beauty, eh? It's not my thing, but whatever. And they just throw it to the dog. I want to mention, let's talk about um, Hosehead for a second. Okay. I think one they spit, they paint him like a skunk, so that's that's great. But two, there's the bit when the cops come to the house, and there's this bit where uh, the inspector, who's kind of like you know following all this, uh, the disc drops into his hand from the roof, <laughs> and there's there's this reverse shot of the dog doing like this barrel roll, but it's going backwards up the roof. Yeah, this might be my favorite thing in the movie now because it's so. <laughs> absurd and dumb and i love that it's like it makes no sense but i love that sequence and that they got away with it so up until i don't know probably the last five years my favorite thing in the movie uh used to be because it's always changing now every time i revisit it i find something new that i loved about the movie Mm -hmm. but um my favorite thing for the longest time was the fact that they end the movie with the dog being able to fly. It, <laughs> yes. it spontaneously like grows a cape. And then when it arrives at the like Oktoberfest celebration to stop people from eating uh, and drinking the beer, it, it literally, and I, I don't think that it does, but it looks like somebody just threw, threw the a dog. dog. On the, <laughs> on the yeah. I just, yeah, I love that they show hose head where it's like, they bring a map down from him. It's like, Hey, uh, you want to make sure you follow this fall, like the I nine, whatever it is. And then like the dog just starts running and running in the distance. <laughs> it just takes off like Superman and gets the Cape. And then I, and like, I don't know if the cape falling off was intentional when they shot the sequence originally with the dog, but when the cape falls off and the way the dog like turns back and looks <laughs> is great. Cause it's the shittiest, like, like blue screening on purpose. Like I get yeah. it, but you're right. It looks like someone just picked this dog up off screen and just like hucked it into <laughs> this thing. And it's like, I mean, the dog wasn't hurt, but like someone threw that dog on camera, like onto the scene. And it's amazing. I'm just picturing like some poor animal, right? <laughs> And they're like, just go. Ah, oh, that's good enough. That's fine. Good we'll enough. Just go with that. I mean, Hosehead, uh, like when they when they actually show the the like the beer garden when they come in there, uh, that dog is just chow- chowing down on all sorts of brats and everything. So that dog had a good day. It had a really yeah, good day. It, it did. 
I, I also love the idea that uh, the movie sort of builds to this weird moment where there's a flying dog at the end of it. I, I, I love that idea of, of just going in such a weird direction and, and it, it doesn't feel out of place at this point, but a film though, it's not out of the blue. Like, um, one of the things that I, I used to say about the movie heat was the first time that I watched it. Um, we, we we watched it in chunks. I think. I think. I think. It was like a half hour. It's, I'm sorry, it's like a, almost a three hour movie, if I remember right. So it's a long film. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember turning to, um, well, it was actually my partner on the Saturday Night Slasher, Ryan. Uh, he was the one showing it to me because I'd never seen it before. This is probably somewhere in the two thousands, and uh, and we stopped it for whatever reason. It was right after the big like scene at the bank goes wrong and everybody gets shot and. Um, there's a scene with Al Pacino later on, and I, I can't remember if his daughter's dead at that point or not, but uh, we paused it and I was like, oh, this is the moment where Al Pacino uh, decides that he's going to go back in time in his time machine and stop the, the gunfight. Ryan's like, what? I'm like, I don't know. I just would love this like totally serious movie <laughs> to just take a complete left turn where you're like, what the hell were they thinking? I was expecting it, just Val Kilmer to go running off uh, and have a cape that fly. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. But I, I just I, I I love the idea that this movie and again, it's not heat, obviously. It's not a serious movie. But I love, I love, we're in this podcast where it's like, this is a fun movie. I don't want to care. But you're like, I think this is kind of like I think this is like uh, Michael Mann's heat with Pacino <laughs> and De Niro at like almost their peak game. I think this is it's almost the same movie. But I, I just I like that idea of a movie taking like such a complete left turn that you'd be like, wait, what? What is happening now? It's a time travel movie suddenly? I thought I was watching a hard crime drama, you know? I think you're describing With, From Dust Till Dawn. I think that's the uh, film you're describing. I guess that's fair, but um, I just, I love that this movie has those turns, and by the time that you build up to this crazy turn at the end, it feels completely natural. That's fair. I also feel like they had like, you know, six minutes to go, and they're like, how do we end this? Because Brewmaster Smith had been dealt with like the, the, the brewery is safe, but they knew that there was this like, you know, truckload of contaminated beer coming to this brew fest or this Oktoberfest. It's like, all right, this is hose heads time to shine. And it's like, like, I'm sure that when they're writing this, they're like, what if the dog just flew there? And they're like, that's stupid. They're like, keep it in the movie. Just keep it in the movie. <laughs> and I love it. It's so dumb and amazing, but I just love that. I like mean- they, they gathered all the cops, right? And the inspector that's now on their side, and it's like, oh, we're going to follow this dog. Cause like, we, but it's like the same time my thing was like, they knew where the brew fest was, but they just sent the dog out anyway, whatever. It's still funny. But I think of this in the same terms of, of I'm going to make the comparison back to Wayne's world. It's no different than Wayne popping up and being like that. That can't be the ending to the yeah. movie. Let's do the Scooby-Doo ending. Like, it's it's not that far from from what happens in Strange Brew, and I I, I think that you know it, it may not be something that I realized back in the day, but there are, a lot of the movies that I love owe a lot to Strange Brew, and I think that that really hit home with me upon this viewing. Yeah, you know, I, I understand that we're kind of rolling through some of the greatest hits, and if you guys have not watched this film, I know we ruined some of the, the but I don't think we've ruined some of the interplay and some of the humor because like the the jokes land. Um, a lot of the humor still works. I, this isn't, this is a film of a time. So if you just kind of check yourself into that mid eighties kind of like 
I don't know. Like, is it the sharpest comedy now? No, but is it an enjoyable, like, doesn't you love these guys? There's no ill will in this movie. Like, it's just a fun movie with fun jokes with fun people doing it. Um, yeah. No, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to go back to this too, is that like, there's not a mean bone in this movie's body at all. There's no cynicism. There's no, it's actually the thing that, you know, I remember when we reviewed Bill and Ted a few weeks ago, um, Bill and Ted's face the music. It was like, you know, I feel like maybe at a different time I, I may have been harder on this film, but it's not hard. It's so hard to not love this movie just simply because it's so, pure and it's joy in, 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 in wanting to tell you a fun story and not be dark and cynical and ugly. And I, I don't know, like that's this movie in a nutshell, there's not a mean bone in its body. It feels very, very light and fun. And sometimes you need that. Yeah. Like even their handling of the people at the asylum, which I mean, I know are people's like opinions and perspectives have changed rightfully. So about those that are, you know, that have different mental issues need to be handled differently. The bit with Paul Dooley being surrounded by all the guys from the hospital where they're all like surrounding him. And he's like talking to Max Flad Seidel, like as they're all trying to like, like huddle up against him is still really funny. Like, I don't know what it is about that too. I like that. They're just kind of left to wander around and just be in their pajamas. I thought that was like, it's just, it's funny, but it's like, not like there's nothing offensive in terms of like, they don't send them doing like, they're just there. They they found the tunnel between the hospital and the brewery, and now they're just wandering around because no one stopped them. That's funny to me still. And I think well, also yeah. they're they're being drugged by Brewmeister Smith, so it's not like that's true. Yeah, it's not like they're pointing out, you know, oh, mental health or illness is funny. It's that like these people are being drugged by Brewmeister Smith, and um, you know. Again, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but like it's probably far more compassionate than, say, the um, beginning of Halloween, where we see the breakout of the sanitarium and there's just people like wandering around in like you know nightgowns, like <laughs> or even you know, even with the new Halloween, where it's like we're going to leave people outside chained to the like the concrete, right. <laughs> while podcasters stand against the wind and like you know whatever. Anyway, but um, yeah, no, you're right. So. Um, yeah, I just, this film, like it, it, it made its budget back. Like it, it, it made double at the box office, which is not much. It made uh like, what was it on a budget of, I have it here in front of me. One second. Where to go? Where to go? Where to go? Um, I know. I think I started wandering away from, from, there we go. Uh, I was looking at Max von Sydow budget of four, 4 million made 8.5 at the box office. So it, you know, it made its money back and made a little bit. It didn't, wasn't a, it wasn't like, you know, big, but again, we're expecting this to be like the breakout, uh, domestic box office for, for 83 strange brew was actually 84 for the year. Uh, airplane two was 83. So just throw that out there. Um, Steve, with your knowledge of things that you love, what was the number one film in 83? If it's not Richard of the Jedi, I'll go hang myself. It was it was Jedi. You're right. So, um, yeah, two hundred forty seven million. Uh, Tootsie number two, Flashdance number three, Trading Places number four. That's a film I need to revisit. I've not seen that since growing up. War Games number five, uh, Octopussy number six, Staying Alive, a film that no one talks about anymore. Not that we need to talk about it, but the sequel to Silent Fever um, is uh, number seven. Risky Business with uh, Steve's favorite actor, Tom Cruise, is number eight. 
number uh, number nine's Mr. Mom with future Batman, Michael Keaton. National Lampoon's Vacations number 10. That has John Candy at the end of it. Um, and number 11, also one of uh, Steve's favorite movies, Superman 3. Oof, wow. Um, <laughs> I will I will say real quick that uh, um, National Lampoon's Vacation, we just revisited that I probably within the last couple of months, and uh, uh, there's still some really funny things in it. Uh, I think the thing that uh, got me the most was that I didn't realize that uh, – uh, the actress from 30 Rock, who was also on Ally McBeal, um, her name was Jenna Maloney, or yeah, I think it was Jenna Maloney on uh, 30, 30 Rock. Rock. I, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. can't think of her name. She's in that movie, and I'm like, I didn't realize she was acting that early. Oh, uh, crap. Which is really funny to me, but uh, of the movies that you just you know brought up, the Staying Alive thing, I thought that movie was always critically and commercially panned. I didn't realize it was like in the top 10 for the year. So that's very surprising. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, like, so anyway, like, uh, so strange brew is like way, 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 way down. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, so it, it made its money, but then there was not enough for it to be revisited. I know that they ended up making an animated series later, which I will admit, um, I do have the Blu-ray of this film that I have not opened yet. There, I'm, I'm with Roth here. There's a, um, a retailer called Hamilton books. I think it's called Hamilton books. I think they're based out of uh, Pittsburgh. Let me look it up. Hamilton book. I think it's what's called. Yeah. Hamiltonbook.com. Um, they have amazing deals all the time, like on Blu-rays and movies. Um, I ended up picking up strange brew for like seven, eight bucks uh, when it had a sale. Um, so if you guys are looking for like, 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 um, let me just take a look here. Um, scream queen, double feature, the fog and the howling for seven ninety five on Blu-ray. Wow. Right? I've like, been looking for that, actually, because it's a Scream Factory release, and it was I, – I don't want to say it was exclusive to Walmart, but people kept posting it in, like, groups that have been in. They're like, oh, found this Walmart, found this Walmart. I'm like, where is this thing? And I can never find it. So yeah. Uh, Slapshot on Blu-ray is $5.95. I might have to buy that. Like, there's – they have a Team Wolf double feature of one and two, which means say what you want about the movies, six bucks to get that on Blu-ray. So wow. – they have some really good deals on here. And obviously if you buy in bulk, then you don't save on shipping. Uh, yeah. So that's the, anyway, so that's where I got that at was hamiltonbook.com. So, um, I've not opened it, but I know that they have some of the animated shorts on there. I didn't see it. Like, I don't see like a director's commentary, which I think would have been amazing too. Um, but so I didn't actually watch the Blu-ray. I was lazy and being upstairs and I just paid four bucks to rent this. This movie is easily available. If you've not seen it in forever, watch it. You deserve a laugh. And if you've never seen it, watch it. You deserve a laugh. It's a fun movie. So I'm not going to begrudge you for spending $4 to watch the movie, but as somebody who I know has my voodoo, um, I already own it in voodoo. Bullshit. Why? Okay, fine. Anyway, I paid you, could, you could have watched it for free, but Hey, 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 I logged, I logged into your shutter and watched the other thing. So I, I'm, 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 you know, whatever. <laughs> The um, other thing that I was going to mention was is that well, there are two things. One is is that there was a, it, and while it's not a straight adaptation, there was a book that was released and the film came out that I just found out about, um, and it's out of print, but it's shaped like a beer bottle, <laughs> um, and it includes like stills from the movie and bits about, uh, but just different bits of comedy throughout the book. It's not like an adaptation so much as it is just like a. Um, ancillary, like, you know, comedy book that came out with the movie. 
Um, right now, the lowest price I could find for it on eBay was 150 bucks. But now I'm going to like keep my eye out for this because I'm like I, I kind of need to own this book. Um, and then the other thing I was going to mention was is that I'd forgotten that McFarland Toys did a, a Bob and Doug McKenzie uh, action figure set. Uh, they were sold separately. I didn't know that. Yeah, they did it back in like the early. Well, I think it was late '80s. Or, I'm sorry, late '90s. Um, and it looks like I can still get probably both figures for about forty bucks. And I'm now thinking. I may, I may spend that money to get me uh, a Bob and Doug McKenzie uh, action figure. But uh, what's interesting is that they were going to make a sequel in '99, mm-hmm. um, and it was called Homebrew, and it was supposed to be about them uh, being conned into opening their own home brewery. Um, and the financing fell through. But at one point, one of the people who was looking to finance it was Todd McFarland. That makes sense. You know, he's Canadian uh, as yeah. a, a, Canadian AF, as they say. So yeah, I just I thought it was funny because I'm like, oh, I'm like that explains why he did toys of them for one. But I'm like, I, I, I kind of want to know what that movie was. And while I haven't seen any of the animated series, I need to look that up and or seek that out. And then also there was a, I believe it was an SCTV special um, that was uh, called Two Four Anniversary that I think they filmed something they they filmed a whole new thing for um and it looks like it was on dvd and it's out of print now so i'm gonna seek that out as well so i just wanted to throw those out there but uh yeah if anybody out there comes across that uh, strange brew book and they want to get rid of it for less than 150 dollars mm-hmm. give me a hit me up <laughs> yeah so i'm also going to tease one more thing for you from this hamilton book that you may already own but if not you're going to buy this in immediately it's not going to be it's not it's not a figure it is where does it at? i saw it here it was the Max Fleischman um, Superman uh, collection, six bucks. Yeah. Okay, I I do have it on DVD. I don't know if they did a Blu-ray release for they it did. as well, but I, yeah. I think I have it on DVD. It's either DVD or Blu-ray. I'd have to double check, but but yeah. So yeah. yeah anyway, this is a yeah, it's a fun movie. I'm glad I own it. Even though I, I paid you know to rent it and not watch it on Steve's thing, but I watch other things on other Steve's things. Um, this no, it's a fun movie, and I understand that we kind of we just kind of reminisced about the film that we like, but it, we steamrolled it, but I blame we steamrolled it. Yeah. I would, I would have kissed this, but I already have puke breath. So, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. So that's what I would do it for our discussion about uh, strange brew. It's a fun movie. Um, watch it. Love it. Uh, if not take off you hosers. Um, also Mel, Mel blank does the, you know, the, the voice of the father, that's great. Also, when they poke in in the bedroom and see their parents, it's them. Uh, like, it's Dave Thomas as the dad and Rick Moranis as the mom, and the Dave Thomas is yelling in Mel Blanc's voice. It's a real quick mm-hmm. gag. It's funny. Um, but yeah, no, it's this. It's a fun movie. So people need to watch this. Uh, that's yeah. That's all I could say. Sometimes, sometimes we just love a thing and we love it. So. If you've not seen it, check it out. If you've not seen it recently, check it out. That's what I got to say. Yeah. I, this one's a thumbs up for me and I, I can't, I, I can't recommend, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I think of, you know, my recommendation last week for Dodge or for baseball, basketball, Jesus. basketball, basketball was, I, I called it three different things there was essentially that uh, I would watch it if it was on TV 
but with Strange Brew, I would watch it at any time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, that, that's going to do it for our discussion about Strange Brew. Let us know how you feel about the film. We have a Facebook page. It is uh, Strange Highways. You can find us there. Not Strange Highways. That is the other show I do. My God. I, I thought is, you were doing a bit there. No, nope. It's Strange Brew, Strange Highways. That's where I got that out. I apologize, everybody. That's a different show that I do with a different person that is not Steve. You can find us on Facebook. It's Invasion of the Podcast. I mean, if you want to go straight highways too, that's fine. Whatever. Um, and we do things there too. Uh, yeah, you can find us. We have an email address. It's evadingpodcast at gmail.com. Gmail.com. My God. Um, it's almost as if I got um, a lot of October beers that were not interrupted by a dog thrown in at me that was painted like a skunk. Uh, you guys could find us wherever we get your podcast, rate, and review us. We have a blog. It's evasionthepodcast.com. Um, it has not been updated since Strange Brew came out, so it's not been updated since 83. That's not true. Um, I keep trying to kick the tires to think of something to write about. It's intimidating to get started up again. However, we have multiple posts about a lot of things there. If you want to read about Westerns or weird Italian knockoff films or canon films or Steve uh, showing off his Star Wars collection, go there. We have posts. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me at strangehighways.com. You can find me on oh, God Twitter, damn it. Facebook, and... Oh, wait, did I... Oh, sorry, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Here? It's now a bit. I get it. <laughs> uh, you can find me on the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher, and Twitter Twitter under the Saturday Slasher. Perfect. And so, yeah. <laughs> wow, I did, I did really good there. So, uh, before we get to the game here, I just want to mention that um, I'm going to be on a podcast that's... I mean, I'm going to be on Strange Highways. That's what I do. But there's another podcast I'm going to be on. It's called At the Devil's Ball. Friend of the show, Rich, uh, is co-hosting a show with a gentleman named Nathaniel. They're covering a lot of different horror films. They're doing a Mick Garris uh, Appreciation Month. And um, and Rich has asked me to be on for um, the Stephen King film directed by Mick Garris called Sleepwalkers. Um, I had not seen this film since it first came out. I didn't see the theater. Uh, and it is, let's see, when, when did the film come out? It was... Uh, 1992. Yeah. So I saw this in high school. Um, <laughs> not a good movie. This throw the spoiler. And I posted some things on my personal Facebook page, some gifts I made of the film, but it's going to be a fun conversation. It's going to be a fun talk about like what happens when Stephen King writes a screenplay for a film and doesn't really know what to do with it, but also wants to invite a lot of his writer friends to be on screen. Um, once that episode posts, I'll share it here with what we're doing, but I'll be on that this week coming up, uh, talking about a film in which somebody gets aggressively stabbed with a corn cob. I mean, if you're going to be stabbed with a corn cob, that's the only way to go is aggressively. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. So, uh, enough about that. Enough about strange brew. However, we're going to talk about some strange brews when we get to this game, talking about different kinds of beers. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> Alright, before we get to the game, I just realized that I have another strange brew story real quick that I want to punish Steve with here. So uh this this actually wraps up the entire episode really, really well because it ties into a lot of different uh comments. Not comments, but like parts of the episode, I should say. Uh, so we love the movie. I love the movie playing world of Warcraft 10 plus years ago. I saw a random person running around with the guild named strange brew. And I'm like, I need to be in this guild. 
So I got in the guild and then eventually they ended up uh, doing some, uh, a guild's a collective of people that like, anyway, they, the, the, the name strange brew, just deal with that. Steve, it's accepted. It's like they're the clan, whatever you want to use group people. Strange brew are uh, tabard had a, a beer mug on it. It was amazing. Um, and so eventually we ended up working with this other uh, guild called legends of poker. I ended up joining them. None of us play poker. It's just a funny name. Uh, fast forward to four years ago, when I got married out in Vegas, um, a couple of the people from the Guild Legends of the Legends of Poker show up to my wedding. So if it hadn't been for my love of Strange Brew, I wouldn't have ended up in that other guild. I wouldn't have had friends like some of the friends show up to my wedding. That's kind of like a weird thing because you we mentioned uh, Blizzard and the movie and everything. So I owe a lot to Strange Brew. That's a that's a very nice story. I have to admit that uh Whenever I hear somebody talk about gaming and then refer to their clan, I always still just like kind of flinch. Well, but, I mean, I don't know. How, I don't, it's a know. guild. It's a guild, not a clan, but I don't know how else to quantify. It's a grouping of people that accept they agree to be together with a, a, the banner and a title under their name of what guild they're in. And again, I, that's not a comment on you. I've, I've had uh, other people use that term as well. And I'm like, I don't know. It just doesn't sit with well with me. So that was not a comment on you. No, no, no. It, like clans aren't a thing and world of Warcraft guilds are. So anyway, uh-huh. um, uh, yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen, uh, so there's some wonderful and tasteless guild names out there. I'll just say that anyway. Um, like, uh, I have a guild I've created called snake jazz, which is a reference to a Rick and Morty episode that I think I showed you. Um, yes. so, <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, yeah, that's my story about Strange Brew and then how that, yeah, whatever. Anyway, so yes, it was my love of the film that got me into a guild that got me into another guild that friends came to a wedding. So anyway, and then those friends are in a photo in which distant in the background, you see a scientist strippers 24 hours. So this, it's all amazing. All right. So uh, the game here is very similar to the one I put out to you a couple weeks ago in regards to the vacation Bible school. Uh Every microbrewer and like, you know, whatever, they have to have a funny name for their beers and I will be a sucker and buy them because the names always make me laugh. Um, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. But some of this gets a little, like a little bit much, but I want to ask you, I got 10 of them here. Um, and I'll give you, I'll give you like the subject and I'll give you the two names. You tell me which one is the real beer and the, the fake one. Right? right. So I have two here. The first two here are going to be star Wars related. So the first, the first of, of the two questions I want to ask you is rise of the hop Walker or the last Jedi PA. They're both terrible. Um, I'm going to say rise of the hop Walker is the real one. Yeah. No, it's the last Jedi PA. Yeah. They're both terrible. I just figured you'd automatically hate on the last Jedi one. So whatever. Uh, no, I mean, it just, I, and again, I don't know when these were released or whatnot, but I just, you know, uh, I, I could see somebody coming out with rise of the, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, we've had this discussion. No, there's so many that like are IPAs that, that lean on the hop thing. Like there was one, I couldn't come up with another dumb one. It was Hoptimus prime. I couldn't think of a, a more, another convincing transformers one. So I didn't use it. <laughs> um, second one here is, is it Imperial Stout Trooper or Sarlacc Peach Pit Double IPA? Imperial Stout Walker is a way better name, 
but I feel like the Sarlacc one is real. It's Imperial Stout Trooper. So okay. yeah. All right. Um, yeah, you do know Coors Light. That's about it. I guess we're finding that out now. So, <laughs> all right. um, all right. Next one is Star Trek related. Is it, uh, beam me up Scotch ale or wrath of pecan? Wrath of pecan is cleverer. So I'm going to say, uh, beam me up Scotch ale. It's wrath of pecan. One. And then because, because there actually isn't a pecan and the ingredients, like wherever this was made, they had to change the name a little bit. So it became wrath of pecant, like as in pecant, <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Over three. Wow. Um, all right. So this next one is, um, Monty Python related Holy grail ale or tis, but a scratch black IPA. A tis, but a scratch IPA is way cleverer. So I'm going to say that one. Holy Grail Ale is the real one. Right. Damn it. Right? Wow, I am. Yeah. Even a coin flip would have gotten some of these. All right. So yeah, I know. Next one is Anchorman related. Is it Sex Panther or Whammy Blondale? Oh, man. I want to believe it's Sex Panther. Sex Panther's right. So there you oh, go. Oh, thank God. I finally yeah. got one right. There you go. Uh, let's see here. I'll do this one. Next one. This next one is, uh, um, oh, shit. Uh, Mel Brooks, um, Young Frankenstein. This next one is either, okay. is it Abby Normal or Dr. Frankenstein Hoffeweisen? <laughs> I want to say it's Abby Normal. You're right. And I mispronounced Frankenstein Hoffeweisen. I just made that <laughs> one up. So Abby Normal is right. That's the correct one. So now you're two of five. So you're getting there. You could you could still break even. Um, you could still fail this. You could still get a D or an F. All right. So, all right. Next one we got here is, it is um, the Shining related. Is it either Red Rum Ale or Stout 237? Mm, boy, Red Rum Ale sounds more realistic, but Stout 237 is actually pretty clever. Yep, it's Red Rum Ale. So, all right, uh, all right. So you're you're yeah you're gonna you're gonna be at like maybe forty percent if you get these next couple. All right, uh, we got three more. Um, uh, this next one's Back to the Future. Is it either Mister Fusion Coffee Porter or Doc Brown Brown Ale? I'm gonna say Doc Brown Brown Ale. You're right. All right. I liked Mr. Fusion. I thought that was better. But anyway, uh, this next one is just, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is it either I'll be Bach or get to the hopper? Uh, I'll be back probably is more, uh, is, is at least uh, more marketable, but get to the hopper is amazing. So I'm going to say uh, get to the hopper. You're right. That's the one. I just... I couldn't think of it like another predator one, but I was like, I'll be Bach. And that makes more sense. All right. So last one here is George Romero related. Is it Donna the red or the gonk goes a. Ooh. I'm going to say Donna the red and you're right. So there you go. You, you got what? Four out of 10. <laughs> Good enough. What I a nice know. way of saying you failed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know, whatever. Uh, you tried. Don't worry about sugarcoating it. That's don't worry about, you just go back to your course light. It's fine. So, all right. So that's going to do it for our quiz. I uh, hope people enjoyed that. There's plenty of other beers out there. Like there was a, um, what was it called? Um, oh, there was a Tarantino one. 
that was um like uh was it blood orange pulp fiction or something i just couldn't think of anything better to go with it like i was like domango i'm like i'm not gonna say domango that's not funny like so um you know so but yeah there's plenty there's there's like eight thousand star wars beers because of course there are um so but yeah there you go which would make me wonder like you know disney's fairly litigious as far as i know but yeah, but I mean, if you kind of like do a little bit of like fudging of things, like like there's actually official Star Trek beers. Like we have a Klingon blood red like ale or something. We have a bottle for it that says it has a war bird on it. Um, or sorry, what do you call it? A bird of prey, whatever it is the Klingon uh, ship is. I have that. Um, or is it Romulan? I can't remember. I think Klingons have the bird of prey, right? Or well, I feel like Romulan, Romulan ale is uh, yeah pops up throughout Star Trek. That's fair, but there was, there was a brewer that actually had licensed Star Trek beers. Um, and we have one of the bottles somewhere, but yeah. Um, but I also know like, uh, Carol and John's will do like their, like the, the comic shop near us, they'll do like weird one-offs as like a thing. And so they'll have some fun stuff like a Wakanda wheat ale. Like they'll, they'll have, uh, other things too. Like, so whatever, it's fun, but yeah. Uh, Steve doesn't understand beers outside of Coors Light. That's what we established or Milwaukee's best. He doesn't understand outside of that um, natty light. He doesn't understand. Schlitz all the way. <laughs> yeah. Anaconda malt liquor. Anyway, so, all right. That's going to do it for us this week. Uh, next week, we're going to actually go back to our year of animation because it is the end of the month. We've not actually covered a film yet that's animated before we get into October. We'll talk more about October and Halloween and all the things that we do because we normally devote an entire month to Halloween stuff. Um, behind the scenes, we haven't really decided exactly what we're going to do yet, but we have some ideas. But that's next week. This the, So the, we'll talk about that next week. What we're covering for the year of animation is a film called Persopolis. It is from 2007. It's available to watch on uh, Vudu. So Steve probably already owns it and doesn't tell me until after I pay money for it. It's three bucks there. It's like $4 on, on YouTube or $3 on Amazon Prime. It is a film that's based upon a graphic novel. Um, it is about uh, Mary, uh, Marjane Satrapi, who uh, I, I would believe she grew up in Iran uh, before the fall of the Shah. And it's her story about her coming of age um, there whenever there was a regime change and then going over into Europe where like she loves metal and punk. That's one of the things that runs the film. Uh, it's it's most of the films are black and white, but it does shift to color. It's a different animation style than we've seen for any other film so far this year. And I also feel like given the nature of people not considering other perspectives and other people growing up in different like lifestyles, I think this is a good film to dive into. I've seen it. I don't think Steve has seen it. Uh, it's it's a great film. I, I suggest people watch it and probably ruminate on it, considering everything going on right now. So we're going to watch Persopolis. Yeah, I've not seen it before, so it'll be a first time watch for me. Yeah, so it's it's a good film. We'll get into more into it next week. But for now, everybody have a good like have as good as week as you can. Uh, drink some beers. Uh, um, if you need free beers, put a mouse in the bottle and then go and ask for free beers. Don't do that. Um, if there's a dog that's paying like a skunk, uh, maybe give it some beer or a jelly and it will not be upset with you. I don't know, but I got nothing else, but just, uh, treat each other kind and, and, uh, be nice and, uh, beauty. That's all I gotta say. Take off, eh? Something wrong with this beer, eh?
Do it, do it. Oh, good day. I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? We're those guys who talk over songs and wreck them, remember? Yeah, here's another one. Beauty, eh? <laughs> You're kidding me, aren't you? 